0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade episode number 50. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo, an internet you'll actually like, lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts, Squarespace, Build It Beautiful, and Text Expander from Smile. Type more with less effort. It is the Relay FM anniversary this week, and my name is Mike Hurley, and Ooh. I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Jason.
1: It's a special week. Uh, we've got uh, upgrade number 50 on Relay Anniversary Week, and, and uh, we didn't even plan it that way. That's just how it worked out, nope. which is
0: cool. And we also have Clockwise 100 later in the week.
1: We do, which we did plan a little bit. We yes. skipped a week in the summer, and people are like, why did you skip a week? <laughs> the well, answer is because we wanted <laughs> number 100 to land on the birthday week. That's why. <laughs> Simple. Uh, we, there's some Relay news that we should talk about that's related to... to, to um, your interests and mine, and presumably uh, many of the listeners. You want to talk about that?
0: We have a bunch of exciting stuff happening throughout the week, but maybe the most exciting uh, is today we announced two new shows for Relay FM. Um, we have Top Four, and Top Four is hosted by Marco and Tiffany Arment. And every episode that's not necessarily going to be weekly, it's on a very loose schedule, kind of whenever they would like to do an episode, they are going to do an episode. And Top Four will basically be the two of them ranking. Um, and putting in order and talking about their favourite four of a certain topic. The first episode is their four favourite video games. Um, I have heard a later episode about another pop culture thing that I won't spoil right now, and I think the show is absolutely fantastic. I'm so happy um, that they wanted it to be a part of Relay, because it's a lot of fun to hear people do this kind of stuff and to rank and talk about their favourites, because you find maybe some stuff that you didn't know about, as well as, uh, as I have been wanting to shout at my podcast player to tell them mm-hmm. what my favorite things are to the point where I have actually now just given those, the two of them, my lists, uh, and <laughs> the best, my favorite thing about the show though, is, Marco and Tiff are married, and you get to hear the banter, which is fantastic, between a really great married couple. Uh, and this, the entertainment that you can get from that is just fantastic, because they have a really great kind of shared sense of humor, and it comes across, and it's very, very charming. So that's top four. Um, but we also have another new show that we launched today, and launched being a perfect mm. pun. And Jason, would you like to explain Liftoff to others? Sure.
1: Liftoff is what uh, some people had referred to as space and cider um, as an inside joke. <laughs> I'm pouring one out for space and it, cider. It, it, it turns out that um, turns out that, uh, that uh, B-side that Stephen Hackett and I did where we talked about space the week that the Pluto uh, flyby happened, that was sort of our stealth, not sort of, you know, to gauge whether we wanted to do that regularly to, to talk about space stuff. And the reaction the re- to it was far better than I ever expected i have to say i expected it to be kind of like lukewarm or people being like look we don't want to listen to you guys talk about space and instead there was this whole like all these space fans came out of the woodwork and they're like yeah more space talk about more space um in fact we even heard from somebody who basically is a rocket scientist who said your your blurb says you don't have to be a rocket scientist but uh, apparently you can be you just don't have to be um so so yeah so we decided to do it so it's called liftoff and we're going to do it fortnightly which is a word that uh, you British people like and Mm. I love too because it literally just means every 14 nights (laughs) it's just they smash that together it's fortnightly every other week so that's that's the plan right now and it's me and Stephen Hackett because it turns out that we discovered that we're both uh, space nuts since we were kids and have both been to like NASA social events where we've watched things uh, shoot into in, well, attempt to shoot into space. Mine got there. Stevens didn't, but it did rocket off the launch pad. Um, and so, yeah, and we think there's always interesting stuff happening in space. So we're going to try to do it every other week. And we we are also planning on having some special guests uh, who we I'm not going to name because we haven't approached any of them yet, but we have been compiling a list. So we, we're going to be cranking into gear about uh, uh, topics and setting it all up and, and, and programming it a little bit more uh, now that we're rolling, now that we're off the launch pad. But uh, I'm I'm excited about it, and the art for that by oh. uh, by Frank by Forgotten Towel is spectacular. The if you haven't checked it out, it's a it's a space mission patch, and it's beautiful. And I hope we can find a way to actually make patches based on the artwork because it is a beautiful thing.
0: Uh, there there is a very strong possibility that that will occur. I know a guy who knows a guy. You can do patches. All right. Uh, The best thing to do to see the artwork is to go to the blog post, which is in our show notes at really.fm slash upgrade slash 50. And if you click on the artwork there, you'll get a full res version and you'll be able to see the design, which is incredible that I can't, my brain can't fully comprehend uh, because it just looks real. And I don't completely understand how uh, Forgotten Town was able to manage this. And I,
1: yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, he's a master of uh, of uh, textures, I think, because the texture, the spacesuit texture, is just it's it's incredible. So yep. I, I'm 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 legitimately more excited about the the uh, icon than I am about the podcast, and I'm really excited about the podcast. So I uh, love that people are, are, are loving the uh, the icon too. So yeah, big week, big week. Indeed, but we
0: do have some follow up as well as there being follow out.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to start with a little uh, related to podcast stuff. Just a a nice uh, note, I thought, from uh, our friend uh, Tropical CIO. Uh, He is, uh, I believe it's a he, CIO in the tropics. uh, And says, have you ever talked about how you have seemingly competing podcast networks yet get along so well? It's a cool example for others. So which I'll just say, thank you. Podcasting is a small it's a small community. I feel like there is more we can accomplish together than like separately. I think we, we, we do uh, the the world of podcasting a disservice by trying to like, I don't know what attack other podcast networks and say terrible things about them. And, you know, I, I think we all have different, all, all the podcast networks have different things, different approaches, um, different reasons for being. And, um, uh, you know, uh, so that, I mean, that's my take on it. I mean, as somebody who has a podcast network and then has shows on a different podcast network, you know, I think I think we all work uh, well together and that it, that's a good thing. Anything more about that from you, Mike?
0: I don't see The Incomparable as a competitor. Like, it's just not a thing that comes into my mind. No, like, I love I mean, The Incomparable shows, you know? Like, it doesn't really... It, there's nothing in my brain where it's like, oh, Jason, like, because I feel that we have a very, like...
1: Well, the topics are different, and I, I have more than one time had somebody approach me and say, "What about this podcast for the incomparable?" And I've said, "Have you talked to Mike and Steven? So that that's also happened, where I thought, "I, you know, I, I think this sounds more like this than like that." But I think even like I was on Twit yesterday, right? And when I talked to Leo Laporte about tech podcasting, he doesn't go, "Oh, well, we're not going to mention Relay." He's like, "Oh, Relay." I didn't. I mentioned that Christina and I both have, because I was on with Christina Warren on Twit yesterday, and and he and I mentioned we were both on Relay, and he's like, "Oh." oh, relay FM, that's relay.fm. And you can go there and Christina, what's your show called and all that. Right. So again, I feel like, you know, all of us are, are, we're not, we're not at the point where we're, we're, trying, I think we're all trying to be professional and elevate the medium and, or, or the format for those people who got mad when I called podcasting a medium, the, the format, the, the, the little sphere we're inside. Um, you know, you know, I, I, is it, it's a competition in a way it is because we're competing for your time. And, um, but I, you know, that's that's sort of as as much as I uh, as much as I think about that.
0: I like. I mean, you know, Again, I I consider at least the incomparable and relay like cousins. Now. Sure, that's how I look at that.
1: Sure. What's next on the follow up? uh next follow-up is listener florian who um uh, mentioned that we talk about third-party watch faces on the apple watch i think we mentioned that last week um and uh he just chimed in to say it's not just about apple's control uh, the watch faces of many brands as as uh and in fact, clock faces, right? Because Apple found this out with the the Swiss uh, train station clock that they had, that was actually in violation of a trademark. Uh, these are these are generally protected, so that if Apple allowed third party developers to do watch faces, they would have to do probably a fairly careful um, analysis of uh, trademark violation of trademark law and potential violations or it could get very messy and i think it's a good point i think you know apple could just push that out to the developers but they're going to get in a situation very easily where they're going to be given takedown notices and things like that so uh, but i thought that was a good point that that watch faces is a super tricky uh area and certainly my favorite watch face for the pebble when i had it was something that for the most most of the time i had it was an unlicensed trademark infringement. So um, I can see that as an issue, but I think it's also that that the watch face is super important and Apple wants to control it. And uh, right now I think Apple's still getting a handle on what it wants the watch to be and it wants the faces to do. And uh, it's a lot easier to just keep it all in-house when you're still figuring it all out, which I think is still, even with watchOS 2, it's still happening.
0: When I first read this piece of follow-up, it didn't make sense to me. It was like, well, you know, they have the same problem for people using like the Nike logo in an app, sure. right? But then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it was probably easier to detect by looking at it a, a copyright infringing logo of a major company. But I don't know if many people could look at a watch face and be like, that's a Rolex one you know, like the actual placement of all of the parts on the watch face right, right. right um because i assume that that's what's protected right not just the brand name because then it wouldn't make any difference right. but the actual design of the, the watch face. yeah so exactly. that would be a lot harder to to tell apart from from stuff that is protected and stuff that isn't i think And
1: they could say you know you agree that you you know are not in violation etc., etc. but you know it's uh <laughs> i think it could it, it, it's 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 problematic and i agree it's more problematic because if i look at what was in the uh the pebble face store when i was using it they were all violations (laughs) yeah they were all either characters or logos or things that were styled to look like uh, other watches and things like that so if i was apple i I would i think apple's doing the right thing and opening up the complications first on their faces, I would like to see Apple continue to release new faces and and work on that because I've reviewed a bunch of them on six colors and you know I think I think uh, there could be more faces. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I think Apple could make their faces more flexible or make their have there be more faces. I'd like to see that continue. Um, we got a bunch of feedback, by the way. I mentioned in passing about the book that was written about sort of Apple while Jobs was gone, and I didn't mention its name because I had forgotten its name. <laughs> that happens and it's infinite loop and we'll put a link to it in the show notes but that's the book and you have to buy a used copy basically or at least i did (laughs) i bought a, a, a copy that had been you know sold by a library somewhere donated to some company that then you know strips them and resells them and i got i now i've got a copy that i haven't read yet but um that just for people who wanted that was the one that keep Keeps getting recommended as when when John Saracusa and I were talking about like the untold story of the and the added complexity of that period where Jobs was gone that that's a pretty good example of a book on the subject.
0: Cool. The next thing that we have is from Jason Becker in response to the uh, the kind of I'm trying to think of the the word but like the uh, elusive Bing Bong from Apple Maps <laughs> that you had last
1: week. Not to be confused with another bing bong who we'll be getting to later in the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Jason Becker says that he got the bing bong sound uh, in navigation on even an iOS 8.4 or 8.0.4 or whatever it is, when on a phone call over Bluetooth. I think the sound has been in there. I just never heard it or rarely heard it. And then it was just coming out of my phone speaker while we were navigating, while we were driving. And I still haven't replicated that, although I haven't tried very much because I haven't been navigating now that I'm home. Um, so the bing bong remains elusive, but I liked it. I would love a mode that doesn't talk to me and just makes the little noise as I'm driving just as a little cue. Although my Apple watch does that too. But if there are other people in the car, it's useful. We enjoyed it. We started shouting it out when the bing bong stopped being played by the phone. We all just would shout it out in the car. We did it. We made our own sounds. is what I'm saying um Stephen hamilton wrote in about apple pay in australia and sent us a link to a story that it, basically he says fraud is very rare we've had chip pin and nfc for years apple pay is struggling because apple wants to take a certain percentage of the transactions and th- that that's what they take in the u.s apparently the transaction uh, skimming charge is less already in australia so they don't so th- this would make if apple took what they take in the u.s or I believe the UK, they would be taking a larger share than in Australia of that of that little bit. So they're trying to get them um, to take a, a smaller cut, and we know how that goes with Apple. So it sounds like uh, you know this is still going back and forth in Australia. Although my understanding is, if you go to Australia with an Apple Pay device set up in the US or the UK, it'll work at all those NFC terminals. Yes, but this is about setting up Australian banks, Australian transactions. Um, with Apple Pay and they're they're uh, slow because of the you know the, Apple has less how do we put this there are fewer reasons for, that Apple can use for leverage with their negotiations with the Australian banks apparently which is interesting so yep. thank you Stephen
0: and it seems like it's stalemate with the four big banks like there's been a lot of news in the last 24 hours about this basically that the four big banks aren't moving
1: so whether Apple Pay ever comes to Australia who knows So John wrote in, uh, upgrading John, and said um, he was thinking about um, comparing Jack Dorsey's return to Twitter like Steve Jobs to Apple and about killing the APIs and things like that and all of this. Um, But he says, but then what happened? He said, then Steve Jobs killed the licensing program of Mac OS because the cloners were making better and cheaper computers to Apple. So I, I read this as a careful what you wish for about having uh, Jack come back to Twitter, because remember, when Steve Jobs came back, he didn't come in and say, hey, let's open this up. He said, let's close this down. Um, To which all our reply is, yes, Steve Jobs did do that, but then what happened next is Apple released the iMac. So Apple shut down the other hardware, and then it got to work creating really great Mac hardware of its own and has been on an uptick ever since. And that was sort of our point with Twitter, is Twitter shut down most of this stuff, or at least put it on a kind of like, there's no point in you investing in this, don't worry about this software, don't make new software, just forget it, and then did essentially nothing and that's the difference in my mind is like where is the iMac of twitter software uh even the okay stuff that they're doing is not like full justification for getting all of the innovative de- developers out of the out of the platform. I also heard from some people, kind of offline, saying. Uh, so I'm not going to name names, but but I heard through the grapevine from a few different sources that Twitter is having a bear of a time hiring developers, especially for its desktop applications. And I think one of the reasons is all the qualified developers who really know the Twitter API in in and out are the ones they screwed. When they made their uh, d- their API decision, <laughs> so those people have a negative feeling toward Twitter, <laughs> and then also I get the impression that there's a bad, re- it's a ba- got a bad reputation that the that a lot of people go into Twitter engineering for the uh, for app development, and then they're you know then they leave and are frustrated uh, as they head out the door. So uh, it's a difficult situation. So uh, you know I hope they turn it around. I hope that there's a some serious change there. But I would love to see the iMac of Twitter uh, clients. I would love to see that. Also, a bunch of people mentioned that I didn't mention TweetDeck. And I should throw that in there. That I didn't mention TweetDeck because my mother told me if you uh, can't say something nice about something, you shouldn't say anything at all. TweetDeck works for a lot of people. It totally doesn't work for me. I don't like. It's it's a weird web view inside a Mac window. It's a column-based thing where the window size never snaps to the columns, so you get these weird kind of like half columns that you're side-scrolling through, which is really awful. Um, and it's a dashboard. It's like great if you're a social media manager and you want like eight panes up in full screen. And it's like show me what's happening on Twitter right now. And I. Never never considered twitter something as much as i'm on twitter i've never considered twitter a front and center Thing. Twitter is a little box on the side of my window that I bring up, look at, and then dismiss. And TweetDeck feels to me like it's not designed to that at all. TweetDeck is your command central for Twitter. And that's great. I, I think if I were a social media manager, I'd use it, but I'm not. And it totally doesn't work. Not only as an app, do I not like the way it's built, uh, um, but it, it, it its premise doesn't work for me. So th- I didn't mention it. That's what I would have said.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform of over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash upgrade. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash upgrade. lynda.com is for people that want to make things happen in their lives. It's for people that have problems that need solving. It's for people that are curious about a hobby or a new activity that they've never fully explored. Or it's for people that really just want to get deep down in something and break open a new skill that they've always really, really wished for. Or maybe it's just something as fundamental as trying to learn how to do your income tax. Right? Lynda.com has courses on this. Maybe you want to learn how to finally master pivot tables in Excel. Maybe you want to get into design and you want to learn some of the foundations of color. You want to learn a bit about typography or just the apps like Photoshop or illustrator linda.com is there to feed your curious mind they have a bunch of great courses all taught by experts who are super passionate about teaching they focus on the software that you're going to want to use but they also focus on some ideological stuff some theoretical stuff and some practical stuff as well depending on the type of thing that you want to learn. You can stream any of their courses wherever you want. They have iOS apps, Android apps, so you can watch on the go. You can even download courses to your devices. You can watch in their great web, browsing, web browser player right that they have online that also has these great transcripts to help you follow along as well of what's being said. You can stream them at your own pace as well because all of their courses are broken down into great little bite-sized chunks. You can watch them in order, out of order, however you want. You can even jumble them all up and create a playlist of a bunch of different courses that you can watch at your own time and you can set your own learning path in front of you and you can even share this with friends, colleagues and team members as well. Learn.com is a fantastic resource for you. It's a great resource for the people you work with, the people that work for you, maybe a family member, a friend, who really anybody who needs to learn new great skills. But if you're thinking, I'm not sure if the course that I want is going to be there, you know, I'll have to go and pay there. Well, it is a great, great price. They have one flat rate. It's going to get you unlimited access to everything. But you're thinking, "Uh, I'm not sure. Best thing to do is just go and sign up for a free trial. I can give you 10 days to try out Lynda.com for free if you go to lynda.com slash Upgrade. You can start your free trial today. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, go ahead and visit lynda.com/upgrade. Thank you so much to Lynda for their support of this show and Relay FM. So next up today, uh, we have a, a little a little topic that you were referring to in our notes as the odd couple.
1: Huh. Yeah. So before we started, we started talking about this subject and uh i i decided halfway through we should save it for the show so here it is um the uh, this is not super pe- people like this stuff i i i'm not sure i'm super excited about it but i know people like it so i thought i would talk about it uh there were some tweets going around today with pictures of steve jobs's desk which i thought were funny because it's the, the people <laughs> tweeted by people who you might expect are people who apple products appeal to and a lot of those people are People with a design uh bent and they're very they want everything just so. I would imagine somebody like CGP Gray would be in there like I'm sure there's nothing on his desk. He may not even have a desk. <laughs> uh, I don't even know how that would work, but it's possible. Um and Steve Jobs' desk was a mess. It had a computer on it, and it multiple photos from a few different years. There's there's crap all over the desk. There behind him is a bookshelf with all this junk in it, and there's stuff on the floor, and there's cables everywhere, and it's uh it's a mess. People are like very disappointed in Steve Jobs, which is kind of harsh because the guy's not around anymore to defend himself. But I laughed at it because I remembered when John Syracuse came into my office at Macworld one time <laughs> and his response was very like, "Ah, oh, you got all this junk around here everywhere. How do you how do you live like this? Like an animal. He did not actually call me an animal, but I know he was thinking it. Um and uh, yeah, my office was messy. My office would tend to just build up junk. And then I would finally have a, a moment of like, God, I can't take it anymore. And usually on a Friday afternoon, I would put everything into the recycling and into the garbage and I'd bundle everything up and I'd put stuff in the computer recycle and I would I'd be back to square one, but often quite messy. It's absolutely true because I, I uh, get focused on what I'm doing and the other stuff is like, I'll, I'll deal with it later and then things just pile up. But what I what I wanted to say is I think all the people out there who are freaking out about Steve Jobs's desk would be proud of me at least for what what is on my desk right now um so i uh i have a thunderbolt hub that i got when i had my macbook air as my primary computer before i bought the imac and, uh, so the idea was I plug in the MacBook air, one cable plus power, and it drives my external monitor that I had and my you know gigabit ethernet and audio out and just there, everything else is connected. USB. It's all connected from the Thunderbolt hub. All I have to do is plug the Thunderbolt hub into the MacBook air work. Great. Then I get the iMac and I think, well, I don't need the Thunderbolt hub anymore because all of those ports are on the back of my iMac, but I got the iMac that's on the arm. You've seen it. You've been in here. Mm-hmm. You've seen it. I have. I've been riding in there. Um, The, uh, so you can, you can plug everything into the iMac on the arm, but what you get is this iMac that's floating in space and then like 10 cables coming off of it and you can channel them and all, but it's a big bundle of cables. And I thought to myself, well, you know what I should do? is just attach the Thunderbolt hub because then all the cables are off the desk or at the back of the desk where the Thunderbolt hub lives. And all I have are a couple of cables, the power and the Thunderbolt cable coming out of the iMac and running to the back of the desk. Um, So I did that, but the Thunderbolt uh, cable I had wasn't long enough for me to move the Thunderbolt hub somewhere where I couldn't see it. So it's sort of sat on top of my speaker Mm -hmm. Um, on the back of my desk next to the foam orange brain actually which is still right there so in the last couple of weeks i've made some advances i bought a long thunderbolt cable it's a white thunderbolt cable for bonus design nerd cleanliness oh nice work uh i should explain i'm going to say it here the felix unger people because this is a reference that you didn't get the odd couple uh, a play a movie a tv show uh neil simon wrote the original uh it's about two guys who have to live together and one of them is a slob and one of them is a neat freak um and in this scenario john Syracuse is felix unger and i am oscar madison this is what i'm saying um so i got a white thunderbolt cable to match the white power cable that comes out of the back of the imac they run off the back and it's a long cable so i bought some velcro and attached my thunderbolt hub to the metal bar that's sort of most of the way down on my adjustable desk. Um, and that's where the Thunderbolt hub lives. So from most angles, you can't see any of the cables that are running into it. Um, and the desktop is completely clear. And from the desk, you just don't see it. The two little cables run over the edge and are never heard from again. And then below there, there are cables that run into the power and the ethernet and all of that. Um, And I had Velcro left over, so I took my little USB audio interface that I use to attach my microphone that I talk through every day, and it's got little knobs on it for volume and all of that. And I attached that to the underside of my desk too. Um, So now I feel like a real professional because I've got like audio equipment attached to my workspace all the time. But you know, it's just it's just Velcroed in there, and I can rip it off and take it with me if I need to. Um, That required me to move like the button that adjusts my desk up and down, which I did. So. What's on my desk now is there's the speaker which has got the relay FM commemorative uh, wooden block and the uh, the orange brain on it and I've got like my iPhone is sitting here right now and I've got this blue metal box that's my mute button that I keep thinking I may actually also want to velcro to the bottom of the desk but I'm out of velcro right now. So what I'm saying is you should be proud of me. I don't have a pile of things on here. I've got color matched cables. They run off to off the end of the desk. I've got a cable management solution. This is as good as it's ever going to get. So um yeah. So you should, you uh, maybe I'll take a picture of it so that when I start piling junk onto this desk, um I have deniability. I can just show people the picture and say, "No, no, this is what it looks like." Oh, we but, need a picture uh, for the show notes too. I guess I will take a picture for the show notes, but I think it's I think it's uh yeah, it's funny. I didn't know I had that in me to be so uh uh I don't know. So so careful about this stuff. Let's say that I would I would be like, "Oh, let's make it a white cable. That would be perfect." But I did that. That's what I did. So, it looks nice. It's nice to have since it's on the on an arm too to to lift the iMac up and have the big wide open space below it. Uh
0: it's nice. So just o- just over a year ago before I started Relay. Um I basically went through and did a big overhaul of my physical space here. Changed yeah. everything up and did what you did. Not not to the level that you did it in Velcro, anything to anything. Uh, I, but I got like, you know, those Velcro cable ties.
1: I have some of those right now.
0: And I did a bunch of that kind of stuff to make my whole workspace look a bit better. But mm-hmm. over time, I've been adding more and more things. And right now, the desk itself is in a better like situation than it's ever been. It is uh, generally cleaner than ever because of the way that I've arranged it and everything's kind of got its place. And I have a monitor now as well as having the, the TV for the games consoles. And I have like a two uh, Mac system going on and I'm very happy with it. And it's very nice but the cable situation down the back there... Is a nightmare, and I, I can't even... It's gotten to the point now where it's so bad, I don't even know how I could begin to fix it. Uh, it's that kind of scenario I've got going on right now. Uh, I, it's kind of to the point where I don't think I can do it. I think I need someone to come and do it for me, because it's at that point where the, it's just beyond my my help and assistance. I've got it into this mess, and there is absolutely no way I can get it out of it
1: periodically i take my uh so in our living room which again you've seen you know there's a big we got a big tv and then there's like the receiver and their video game consoles and all this stuff and twice this summer i have because we got a new tv as we've talked about and because uh, i got the uh, xbox one um i've i've done the teardown and reconnect at least some large percentage of the stuff um and I, I'll tell you, every time I do it, I come out with like three or four cables that are not connected to anything. And I say to myself, "Why? Where did this come from? Why is this here?" And it probably I disconnected one side and thought and and thought I would get around to disconnecting the other and didn't or couldn't find it. And then later I would just keep, you know, plugging those in, thinking they went somewhere, which they didn't, and eventually think like, oh, these don't go anywhere, but but I don't know where they're plugged into on the other side, and so then disconnected them. And then they just sit there for a while <laughs> and just sort of hanging, not connected to anything. Why are they there? And then uh, and then the next time I, I pull something on they go, Oh, this is not connected to anything, and then Yeah. So cables are the worst. Um they they are the worst. I, I I think it would be other than all the extra work it causes. I think people should like every six months they should un they should disconnect all their cables, and then reconnect all their cables just because you will. F- I, I swear you will find cables that you'd be like, I don't need this cable. Why is this even here? And uh, I think that would be a smart smart move.
0: I think I need to do that. Like I, ever, I think yeah. every, I need to burn everything down mm-hmm. um, and start over again. <laughs> but with that kind of Change stuff. Your I got- name. yeah (laughs) just shut it all down the cables are too bad i I feel like in that scenario i have to then i can't work the whole day because it's going to take me that amount of time to get everything back into some sort of sanity again
1: yeah yeah my cables right now below my desk here are in decent shape because i've only been in this uh, space with this stuff for a year and um i don't have that many things hooked up because i only have the one computer and all of that um but still, it'll 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 accumulate. I'm sure of it. I literally was pulling out HDMI cables, going like, "Oh, I didn't know I had an extra HDMI cable. Oh, here's another Ethernet cable." I just I don't know why it got back there, but it was back there. So yeah, cables—they're the worst. One day, Mike. One day, everything will be decabled. We'll live in a. We'll we'll put on our jumpsuits, and uh and uh go to space, and there will be no cables. Oh well, we'll just have Max with one port. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing <laughs> sure. we can do about it anyway. That's a cable. It's got a cable. Just one. Just, Just one, one cable.
0: And everyone was the only allowed yeah. one cable. You could choose one thing.
1: Well, it's a grim future you're describing.
0: So we have an interesting show today in general because our tech topics are mini topics. Uh, we're, we're completely throwing out the normal format. We have one yeah. more mini topic. Then we're doing ask upgrade. Then we have two Mike at the movie kind of things. We yeah, have we have the we have Mike at
1: the movies, and then we have bonus. Bonus yep. mic at the movies. It's Mike went to a movie yesterday. It's the yes. It's the, it's the he just the, has to talk about it. It's
0: not as catchy at a vertical, um, no. but it is one nevertheless. Yeah. But you had some mini topic follow out. I think that you wanted to <laughs> yeah. do now.
1: I have one one really quick mini topic uh, again about ATP um, one thirty. Ah, uh, the accidental tech podcast maybe you've heard of it. Uh, and they were talking about alphabet and google and uh, and then this came up when I was on Twitter yesterday too. I, I just wanted to share really briefly my experience from at IDG. So IDG was founded by a guy Pat McGovern. Uh, he started computer world. he turned this into international data group um, and it grew and he, they added more media brands, but then over time he added uh, uh, investment and research. And, um, and invested in all these international versions of IDG where they're in China and they're in Europe and they're in Africa and they're in Asia, the rest of Asia. And, you know, he was one of the first, uh, Western businesses to go into China. Uh, I believe one of the first Western businesses to go into Vietnam, um in the last 20 years 30 years and uh so he built this business and I, I wanted to mention it because i see relations to this in alphabet which is you've got a founder or in the case of google founders and they create a thing and then over time the thing is much bigger than it was when it began it, it began and you had that moment where you're like how do we structure this and uh, this is definitely what pat mcgovern did and when i worked at idg you know he was the chairman there and then um and so there was a board of directors, um, and then he hired a uh, basically a president, a CEO of the overall IDG. But everything under that was different businesses. They were they were companies, and they had presidents. And this strikes me as being similar to what Google is doing, where. That business has grown up. It's no longer Larry and Sergey are at Stanford and they've got an idea for a search engine, right? It's come a long way. And at some point, you know, if you're Larry and Sergey, there are two things you could do. You could could say, you could have the discipline to say, we've started to make some money. I'm going to take some money out and invest it in this other thing that I want to do. But instead, they're like, well, let's just use Google's money to build this other thing and it'll be part of it'll be part of Google it won't be our money it'll be Google's money let's just keep it all in the one business instead of making some other businesses and so they did that and they kept doing that and they bought other companies and they created these crazy lab divisions and it was all just part of Google and over time and I, this is the story that that uh, they seem to be telling now too is over time especially the last few years they've realized it kind of doesn't make sense because as we said last week there's Larry and Sergey's playground and there's sort of what we think of as base Google and uh, I know John, John Syracuse has said, I'm just going to call it Google <laughs> forever. But I, I think I, 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 given my experience at IDG, it's like there is some freedom to run your own business. And I think that this is what uh Sundar Pichai is going to get. And I think this is what Tony Fidel has with nest. And I think that over time, ideally you'll see that from Google ventures and from the, the, the labs projects and other stuff that they're doing that they, they will th- see, see themselves more as these standalone businesses that are part of a family with a shared ownership, but that are allowed to chart their own course at least a little bit. Now, this all comes down to what the founders want, what the, what the guys, Larry and Sergey in this case want, because there, the, you know, over my time at IDG, the interference slash supervision from above varied a lot. There were times when we were very much pushed together and said, you know, you all need to do this, even though it doesn't really benefit you because it benefits the group as a whole. Um, but there were other times when that, that that didn't happen, and that was all within IDG's media group, the publishing group. We never got feedback about how the research company, IDC, uh, did its job or what happened with Ventures. In fact, Ventures was kept at a distance because um, <laughs> they would invest in companies that we would cover. So I wasn't even aware of what they were investing in. It was just completely separate. So it's going to be up to Larry and Sergey about how they play this, but... Um, You know, I think the best solution here is, and what I hope they do, is uh, let the businesses be the businesses and really just let Alphabet be a thing that transforms uh, what we think of as, uh, thought of as Google before a week ago into this, um, into thinking of Alphabet as stuff that Larry and Sergey own, along with the investors who have no control. (laughs) Nice trick. And that... um, and that within that are a whole bunch of different companies, including Google. And that just because Google does something doesn't mean that Nest will follow along. And just because Nest does something doesn't mean that that is only in the best interests of the Google search engine. So we'll have to watch it. But I just, it, it kept resonating with me that that um, this is the sort of thing that happens when you have founders who have this huge business that keeps growing in all these different areas. And you have to make some decisions about how you segment them and how you manage them because it, it gets too complicated. So anyway... You mentioned the investors there. The investors remain the same, though, right? Because the, the well, OK, so right now, the Alphabet holding company, which is coded as Google on the stock market, it owns everything, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't. So first off, it doesn't preclude them from spinning things off, right? They could spin off Nest if they wanted to. They could. And give the stock, you know, give a, translate the stock out to the Nest people. I am not an investor. I'll just say that. But they could do that. They could do that. And the way they've structured their stock is interesting in that all of the stock that's been uh, bought up uh, when they went public that made them a whole lot of money, um, Larry and Sergey still have control. They have the, voting, the majority of the voting shares, which is a brilliant thing that they did because they didn't want to lose control of their company. I think Steve Jobs may have given them some advice there. So they can kind of do what they want. And the stock will get pummeled if the stock market doesn't like it, but there's nobody who can like take over the board and say, you're fired, we're bringing in new management to run Google. So over time, it wouldn't surprise me if they perhaps took more steps to to separate some of their businesses. Um, but for right now, yeah, it, it's one, in the end, all of these companies have the same owner, but they're being run separately. And the question is how separately are they really being run? Because I, like I said, I saw it both ways. at IG.
0: I don't know if it's my general kind of tendency for these things, especially Google related things, but on the face of all of this, I believe it all makes sense to me. Like I can see my, like let's imagine in 10 years time relay has 60 shows, right? <laughs> because we just can't stop. Uh, I can see a world where we would have like spin-off networks instead. Like, you know, like, let's say that we ended up with 10 tech podcasts and then we had 10 podcasts about movies and 12 about video games. Like, it, I can see a world where, like, we would say, oh, and then, you know, this is where you go and get that stuff. Even if it was just, like, real FM tech and it lived at this web Do you see what I mean? Like, I can well, understand that. Like, I can see from a founder's point of view, like, if your business continues to grow and grow and grow to the point where it doesn't make sense anymore, then you might want to, like restructure things so you're able to focus on the places you want to focus on because if it gets to the point where I'm like I'm totally done with tech I only want to do video games but yet all I keep getting is this tech stuff like why don't I just put somebody else in to do that Mm. and then I'll just go to do the video game stuff but I remain with the same level of control that I had before I just don't have to care about any of the stuff that I don't want to care about but as long as the tech shows keep making the money then they'll keep paying for whatever other stuff I want to do. Because I have these ideas in my mind of like things I would like to do in the future, like just other little projects. And I see like Relay and the money, the income that I make from Relay helping me afford to do that at some point, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. Well I, another example um I mean obviously the difference between po- t- certain kinds of podcasts is very uh much less than the difference between a search engine and a self-driving car of but course. it's on this it's on this continuum I was going to use as an example um there was a podcast network called Earwolf <laughs> uh, and yeah. yep. they they hired their own uh some ad sales people to sell ads for their podcasts and at some point they realized that um that was a totally different kind of business but also a successful business with a lot of growth and that's uh so that's mid-roll media which just got bought by uh by uh scripts and that's where our our friend lex friedman works and um you know, that's what they did is the 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 guy who founded Earwolf said, Let's essentially split this in two. And it's I, I think it's the same company or they're, you know, two companies share with a with a shared single owner, but that was what they did is they said, Oh, this is two things, not one. It started as one thing, and then it got big enough that they realized, well, this thing to grow and improve actually needs to be uh, you know, be its own thing and not just attach to this other business that we've got. That's one of the reasons business is so hard. Business is tough, man. And then as of <laughs> today, they're a whole new thing as well. Yeah, oh sure. They've got they more stuff. They're they, right they working Yeah, they're working on world domination over there too.
0: Yep. The Netflix for podcasting, Jason. You've got that going for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Netflix for old episodes of podcasts that you now can't listen to unless I you just, play. but I
0: love this fast company title. The, the title for the, the post that to put in the show notes is "How the Netflix of podcasts we've been waiting for."
1: Who was waiting for that? Yeah. <laughs>
0: like who was waiting for that?
1: Who was waiting for, that? <laughs> <laughs> was waiting for the Netflix of podcasts? I like I like the concept. What what so what I like about the concept and Alex mentioned something about this. What I like about the concept of what they're doing is um right now, it's very hard to gain a new audience for a podcast, especially like a, a one-off or a mini series. And so I think they're envisioning this as yep. being a place you could release audio content, almost like an Audible, where you could say, look, all subscribers have access to this new special from a, a, a comedian, or this new, you know, six-episode miniseries from an NPR person that you really like, and you get access to all of it just by being a subscriber. I, I think there's something interesting there. It, it, it strikes me as being more like Audible than like, what we think of as podcasting today, but it's still, you know, audio content, spoken content. Um, I would imagine that when you talk about um, Deezer and Spotify and, you know, companies like that that are music- services that are now starting to think about spoken content as well they're thinking the same thing too so it's interesting it's it'll be interesting to see where that all goes Um, in the meantime we will continue to release our podcast on rss uh, where you can listen to it with anything and it's simultaneously released worldwide and all of that good stuff that comes with being a podcast
0: yeah, the piece that we may have missed from this story is what Wolf is doing, is taking the back catalogs of some shows and putting them
1: behind a paywall, right. effectively. Well, you can still which, listen.
0: I, my understanding is you can still listen to the new episodes, but yes. if you want the back catalogs, they'll be behind a paywall, Which is, and they have Mark Maron right at the very top of this, and right. he's been well, doing Maron that for was, a long time. Yeah,
1: he was using Libsyn's service and may still be, and Libsyn, you pay them and they give you an app and they can gate your content and you have to pay a subscription fee... And then you get access to the old content that's older than whatever, five weeks or 10 weeks or something like that. It's a little similar to what uh, Ricky Gervais did with his podcast, where yeah. uh, after a little while, He's they went them. down off the internet and were sold as audiobooks on Audible and iTunes. Um, that kind of that thing. And so this is what they seem to be doing, too, is you like, like with Audible, they want you to have a subscription and then you have access to this stuff, including old episodes of, of podcasts and, and stuff like that. So there you go. Yeah. Should
0: take a break for Ask Upgrade? It's that time already. It is. Uh, this week's episode and this episode vertical of Ask Upgrade is brought to you by Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. With Igloo, you no longer have to be chained to your desk to get your best work done. You're able to work wherever you want, which is exactly the way that people want to work these days. We have all these mobile devices. We live very mobile lives. We have iPhones. We have iPads. We have MacBooks. We have the whole shebang. And these things, they can work when you're uh, in a meeting at a client site. They can work in your garden. They can work at the coffee shop, wherever you want. And this is exactly what igloo can do no longer do you have to go on to a specific terminal to use an intranet igloo works wherever you can get online it has fantastic responsive design all of igloo's A great, great product can be formatted to look exactly how you want. It's going to look fantastic on all types of devices. You'll be able to update task lists from your iPhone. You'll be able to look at documents on your iPad. It doesn't matter where you are or where you want to work. Igloo will be right there with you. Thanks to group spaces, role-based access permissions, and an easy drag-and-drop widget editor, you can reorganize the whole platform to fit exactly how certain teams work, and you can rebrand the whole thing, give it the look and feel of your teams and your company. They also integrate with services like Box, Google Drive, and Dropbox into their one big, easy-to-secure platform, which means that all of your company's documents will be in the place that they're supposed to be in your intranet. They also have their own file-sharing system and collaboration system. You can track who has looked and read at, diff- at certain documents with read receipts. It's going to be really useful for making sure that everybody has critical information and it's all been seen and everyone is staying on top of everything and keeping on the same page. Igloo features 256-bit encryption, single sign-on, and Active Directory integrations. If you're a security nerd, you know that that is awesome and that's the type of thing that you want. If you don't, trust me when I tell you that's all good stuff for staying secure. It's time to break away from the internet that you hate. Go and sign up for Igloo right now, and you can try it out for free with any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want. Sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash upgrade. Thank you so much to Igloo for supporting this show and Relay FM. Okay, so our first Ask Upgrade this week comes into us from Jacob, and Jacob asked, and he asked this of you, Jason, have yeah. you tried AT&T's
1: Wi-Fi calling on iOS 9 yet? and my answer was no um i have i have since turned it on but not tried it but i did turn it on got the warning saying you know 911 uh, services your emergency services may not be available and tell us what your tell us what your address is and are you sure you want to do this and i went through all of that and then it said this service will be available soon and then took me back to the setting screen with it turned off and i thought oh that's weird and i turned it on again and it turned itself off and i thought okay That's weird. And then I turned it on again, and then it stayed on, because I think that was the, you know, it would be on soon. And then finally, my account was flagged or whatever as being able to turn that on. And then I turned it on, and I have not used it. So have you used it? Never fear, Jacob. Mike is here. (laughs) So uh,
0: EE here has Wi-Fi calling and has had it for a while. Um, I don't know why I never had it enabled. I think that it's the the, the and it's gotten better with iOS nine. I'm not hundred percent sure why it has worked or why it hasn't. But anyway, I was on a co- I was in my uh, co-working space the other day, um, and I was on a call and my phone died, uh, and iOS nine popped up to say, hey. This call failed. It didn't say this exact words, but it's something to this effect. That call failed. Would you like to turn on Wi-Fi calling? And I said, Yes, was 9 I would like to do that. So I turned <laughs> it on, and now whenever I'm on a Wi-Fi uh, access point, uh, I have EE my network name in the top. I have two bars, and then in between the EE and the Wi-Fi logo, it says Wi-Fi call always, which annoys me. I wish it wasn't there, uh, but. I so now I, my understanding is that I get better reception wherever there's a Wi-Fi uh, access point and I haven't noticed any difference at all it works seamlessly uh I haven't had any dropped calls recently uh, it happens every now and then so I assume it's working pretty well but huh. I liked that it popped up at that moment that was that's great uh user experience right there like call failed and the phone knows that there is a solution to make this better that i didn't know about so it pops up because this is the thing that i think about quite a lot especially looking at these ios devices now as they are getting older and more mature they are becoming infinitely more complex yeah and so many features now are enabled and people will never find out about them because why would they know you know like something will be enabled and nobody knows where to find it or nobody knows it exists uh and the apple tips app just drives everyone crazy so you end up in a scenario where people don't know about certain features that their devices have and that's just the way it is and that just feels like such a an annoying you know it's like an annoying thing but i don't know how you get around it without completely redoing everything every time and you can't do that sometimes you have to just add features in but you end up in a scenario where it becomes, you know, more and more complex to try and work out how to do these things. It's, a, it's just the a, a, a way of the beast, I suppose.
1: Yeah, but I like that. That's the idea, right? That you surface new features by saying, oh, it seems like you were trying to do something. It's clippy. I've noticed that, you're, you're, yeah. that your call is dropping. Would you like me? But th- that, there's a good instinct there of saying this looks like a job for a new feature that you haven't turned on yet. And, uh, you know, would you like me to turn it on now? My uh, phone does not say that. I have Wi Fi calling turned on and it doesn't do anything. It just is showing me two dots, AT and T and a and a Wi Fi symbol. That's mm. it. Mm. I don't know. Maybe I'm I don't have it says I have Wi Fi calling, but maybe I don't. I don't know.
0: Who knows Ma- the it magic of Wi-Fi calling? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The next
1: question comes from Lee.
0: Uh, do you have any advice for someone that works full time, uh, but owns their own website and does some freelance writing and podcasting in their spare time? To how do you build a following? Woof This is that question, huh? <sighs> can I? Can I start? Shall I start? i uh, you. You may. You may finish. <laughs> 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 Lee. It's not easy. Uh, I kind of, I guess, over the last six years, nearly have built a great following now to the point where I can do this full-time, and I'm very thankful to everybody that checks out anything that I ever do. Uh, But I guess I came from uh, obscurity in the last six years, right? Like, you know, it's not like some people, like your great self, Jason, who you started your own thing now, but you have been... In the public eye, in that scenario, for for many years at Macworld, right, you you knew a lot of the people that you know now before you were independent, I guess, but for a Mm -hmm. lot longer than I did. Um, And for me, I guess the way that I did it was I found the thing that I liked to do, not necessarily the thing that I was good at. Uh, I kept doing it, and I kept doing it because I liked doing it, right, like I just enjoyed doing podcasting. It's the thing that I have liked to do, um, and I just kept doing it. And the reason I say it's important is because if you like the thing, if you love the thing, you will stay awake until 2 in the morning to get the thing done that you need to do, right? So that is part of it. It's the finding the thing that you love because it gives you dedication to continue. Be consistent with it. If you're going to do a weekly schedule, stick to the weekly schedule. Otherwise, be consistent because people are more likely to remember you if they see you a lot, I think, is is another thing that I have found. And try and find a thing to do differently. So way back in the day, in like 2010, 2011, with my first ever podcast, I started bringing guests onto the show to to interview them and also to have them talk about the tech news of me and my co-host. Jason Snell was one of those guests. It's the first Mm. way that me and you ever had an interaction. And it was basically... What it did was then was it enabled people to find out about the show because they would link to it or whatever, like, you know, that kind of thing. This stuff is way too common now. You know, people guesting on podcasts where it wasn't so much, I think, five years ago, because one thing, there wasn't as many podcasts. Yeah. But yeah. what what I know that did was that helped give me a leg up because it helped me get a lot of contacts and, and that kind of thing. So i'm not saying follow my exact advice but try and find a thing that you can do that sets you apart from other people it's a very very difficult thing to do but that's all the only
1: advice i can give you i'm afraid Uh, i will follow up by saying i think that's great advice you said you talked about consistency i think consistency is the most important thing um I mean, yeah. I suppose you could be consistently bad, but ideally, you're doing good work. You're you're doing something you like and that you're, you're passionate about, and then you need to be consistent. And if that's being a podcaster, it means, like you said, means re- releasing an episode every week if you say you're going to, and not not doing. I can't tell you how many podcasts I see that it's like there's an episode or two, and then there's no episodes for you know, four months and then there's an episode and then there's no episodes for eight months. And then there's another two episodes. And, uh, that is not a way to build a following. (laughs) So be consistent. If you're, if you're a freelance writer, try to find consistent work and be consistent in your work. Um, you know, do turn in consistent work, uh, be on time. Editors really appreciate you being on time and doing your job and they will reward you, for being on time and doing a good job by giving you more work and that allows you to be more consistent. And I would say focus is the other thing I would mention, which is, um, building your own site and freelance writing and podcasting and working full time is a lot of things. I do those three things without working full time. And I feel like I don't have enough time. So uh, one thing you might want to look at is what are the most important things to you? What do you really want to focus on and be consistent with? Because it's possible that you could be more consistent and build more of a following by not doing a whole bunch of different things, but focusing on a few things. So not knowing enough about your situation to say more than that, that that's, I think, the other thing I'd throw out there. there uh, consistency, uh, audiences, audiences like it, uh, editors who give you assignments for freelance work like it. I think, I think it uh, goes a long way.
0: Great, great advice, Jason. Uh, Jim asked what our thoughts were on Dr. Dre's exclusivity on Apple Music. So Dre has written a soundtrack for an upcoming movie called Straight Out, Straight Out of Compton, which is based uh, on the life and times of the N.W.A. Uh, I think it makes perfect sense, right? Of course he's going to do it. You know, it's, he's an Apple employee. Uh, I think that this is the type of stuff that will really help set apart Apple. Um, and will be a thing that will enable them to continue uh from the the artists and people that they have working for and with them, and the influence that those people can also have on other people you know- mm-hmm. so I think that it makes perfect sense that dre did the if he was gonna do it anywhere of course it made sense to do it an apple music, and of course it makes sense to give them an exclusivity, especially still during the free period, which when is that ending? that's gotta be soonish September. September Sometime? time? Okay. Something like that. Maybe maybe uh, they extend it if you buy a new phone. That'd be smart. God, that'd be I smart, wouldn't it?
1: I don't love exclusivity, any content exclusivity like this because inevitably there's something that you can't get that you want because it's locked up somewhere else and you aren't going to switch to their thing, but that means you just can't get the thing that you want. Mm-hmm. I don't love that, but that's no, just the As way a it is. consumer,
0: I don't love it, but I'm thinking of it as a pure business. You know, makes sense for Apple to do that, whether it's the right quote unquote right thing to do of yeah. course it makes sense that he would do it um blaze would like to know our thoughts that now the youtube mobile app supports vertical video what do we think about vertical videos so instead of uh, this is a video being taken in portrait mode in, with yes. a, with a device this
1: is a this is our vertical video vertical <laughs> i think that may be the entire reason why i wanted this uh <laughs> to be in this show. I, I hate ver- vertical video because, you know, most of the devices that I watch big things on are, of course, horizontal. But the fact is, if it's stuff for that that's only going to be viewed or mostly going to be viewed vertically, uh, and people shoot things vertically, I would prefer that we all agree to watch things in horizontal, you know, in landscape mode. I feel like we're going to get to the point where where our cameras are going to be so high resolution that you're going to be able to hold your phone vertically and take a horizontal video in HD. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and maybe it's just a matter of how it, you know, how it crops it or how it presents it. Um, but, you know, these kids today with their vertical video, it's so natural to take vertical video. I have to remind myself not to take vertical video. But, you know, if you ever plan on it, it being on a TV or something like that or on uh, or on CNN or something like that, um, those are all formatted for for uh, for wide. So, you know, but if it's just to your send it to your friends or whatever, then who cares? That's what I think.
0: It doesn't bother me at all. Like, um, I, I tend to hold my device in portrait mode, so sure it works perfectly. So I think it's great that YouTube are supporting it, because if you're going to do it, yeah. it
1: makes sense to watch it that way. I agree. I agree. Like I said, I, I, think, I think the real solution here is to make cameras that are good enough that um, when you hold it in that natural portrait orientation, by default, it still shoots a widescreen <laughs> video. <laughs> but that's not how it works now. So there you go. Indeedy. Indeedy.
0: So, uh, we are now going to approach the first uh, Mike at the Movies topic this week. So, again, yes. I'll explain this. Uh, I've, as we spoke about on Twitter, as we do every now and then, Jason has assigned me to watch an 80s movie. This week, it is, or well, this time, it is War Games. We're yes. going to talk about that. But yesterday evening, I went to see Inside Out, and I really want to talk about it with Jason. So, after we have done, spoken about War Games, we'll be talking a little bit about Inside Out. I just have some thoughts and feelings that I wanted to share with Jason. Mm-hmm.
1: So let's talk about war games. Okay, so the the idea here is that I, I try to pick a movie from the '80s that you haven't seen. That seems to be what we've fallen into. And although your discussion of the uh, of the of the new uh, Arment podcast with the top fours um, made me want to have you watch High Fidelity, which is a great movie. And it's about a guy who makes lots of top five lists. It's not from the eighties. So for now I'm sticking with the eighties. And so you hadn't seen war games, which is not on my list of my 10 favorite movies or anything. Although it's a movie I like a lot. I think it might be on John Syracuse's list, Um, but it is certainly a key film in terms of the depiction of early kind of computer nerd stuff uh, it, it's. I would say it's the, if not the first, one of the first, like truly, uh, truly a movie about being a, a personal computer, uh, a personal computer nerd. It's from 1983, directed by John Batham, starring Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, and Dabney Coleman, among others. So before I uh, go in
0: with my usual what I knew about this movie before, and then maybe talk about how I felt about the movie, we should thank friends of the show, the great Smile Software.
1: (gasps) Oh, do we have a friend?
0: We do indeed. We do indeed. It's been a while, but Smile Software are here again. They're a great friend. And also Greg from Smile, uh, he DM'd me. He was very excited. We were talking about war games today. So I thought I would have this whole segment brought to you by Smile mm. because I knew that they were excited about the,
1: the, uh, it. The thermonuclear war that ends the world, brought to you by Smile Software. <laughs> a smile on your face.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about Text Expander. If you type the same sentences, phrases, or even words on a regular basis, then you need Text Expander in your life. It will help you save time and effort by expanding short abbreviations into frequently used text and even pictures. And with a new Yosemite look and feel, text Bander 5 is now here to help you type even faster than ever before. And it does this by making suggestions of frequently typed phrases to abbreviate and save time. So text expander will now remind you of missed opportunities that you can use to create abbreviations for whilst you're typing and the newly released version 5.1 improves suggestions by even further by omitting most single word dictionary stuff and giving you greater control over the notifications so you can make sure that you're notified about the right types of things and, and you know to keep that kind of clutter out of your life and smile gives you the control to do that but you can also have these great suggestions there so if you're typing a phrase over and over again they'd be like hey why why don't you set up an abbreviation for this, it's very useful. If you frequently fill in forms with the same information, you can also use Text Expander to make this really easy for you by creating a fill in snippet. So, in just a couple of keystrokes, you can fill in a whole form that may have taken you minutes or hours, depending on how long the form is before. Or you can even use fill in snippets to personalize and standardize repetitive replies. So, let's say that you get uh, emails that are kind of similar, but require a couple of different things. You could set up a a, a like a great fill-in snippet, I use this for a bunch of stuff, where you type in the keystrokes that you want, maybe like F-F-I-L-L for fill, and it will pop up uh, a great little window, and it has a bunch of text that you have pre-filled in, and you could change uh, names, you could change uh, t- default responses from drop-downs and stuff like that. It's really, really powerful stuff. So it's not even just like text expander isn't just about giving you an exact phrase or an exact word every single time, you also have some control over the types of things that you can use it for and the types of things that you can fill in, it really is incredible you can sync your snippets amongst multiple devices, you can store them in iCloud or Dropbox, and this means they're available to you everywhere, they also have a great iOS app, um, so you can enable your text expander snippets in over 60 apps in the app store that have integrated snippets like Fantastic How 2 Drafts, On the Outliner, uh, OmniFocus, editorial, many more, and they also have an iOS custom keyboard, so you can use uh, your text expander snippets in any app, whether they support text expander snippets natively or not. And text expander five also adds support for JavaScript, which also works in a text expander touch for iPad and iPhone apps. Text expander five costs forty four ninety five US, and upgrades are available for nineteen ninety five for existing users, and it's free to those who purchased on or after. January 1st, 2015. You can find out more about Text Expander 5 by visiting smilesoftware.com/upgrade. Please note that Text Expander 5 requires Yosemite and Text Expander for iOS is available on the App Store for iPhone and iPad. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show. So, should we do this? Hello. Greetings, Professor Falcon. <laughs> oh, he's turned into the computer. I was, I was worried this was going to happen. So, War games. Shall we play a game? <laughs> Let's get to that in a minute. Uh, okay. I knew nothing at all about this movie. I, I figured. Like, not one thing. Uh, I didn't have any uh, pop culture things that I knew came from it. The shall we play a game stuff that you just mentioned, I know comes from it now, right? Uh, but I didn't know that. Uh, I knew it was a very popular nerd movie and Mm -hmm. I knew that Matthew Broderick was in it because I opened up IMDb because I always have IMDb open when I'm watching these movies so I can write down the characters' names because I always forget them Uh, and I love Matthew Broderick I think he's great Um, I really enjoyed this movie you did it again That's good. I really liked it. I, I really did. I have some notes in the middle of my discussion today about 80s movies in general. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, this was another great one. I think, again, like some of the other movies that we've spoken about, it had some plot issues, uh, <laughs> which I'll get to. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I found it very enjoyable. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, and I kind of liked the overall kind of messages that it was giving out, which we'll oh. talk about. So let's go through the movie. Okay. It begins in a very windy and
1: mystery location. Oh, yeah. This this movie has a very surprising beginning. When we rewatched it for The Incomparable, a bunch of us said, wow, I forgot that whole beginning part is there. <laughs> Which is it's, a, it's out in the middle of, I don't know, South Dakota or Louisiana or one of those other frigid northernmost states. Louisiana's not up there, Mike. Um, hmm. <laughs> reference and uh right and and there's like a secret door that leads to a secret location that leads to like a missile silo where they're launching or theoretically launching nuclear missiles right yep not the movie you expected to see right not at all actually because it's very serious Mm -hmm. uh and and leo from the west wing is there sure never seen the west wing oh (laughs) oh mike well that's a that's another thing entirely yeah we're not uh, gonna do that because we'll be no. here forever but that's actually
0: yeah. on my list uh, oh, okay. of shows to watch uh,
1: tv shows i tend to like very
0: light-hearted tv shows in yeah. general um like where we that's we, we are uh, me and my girlfriend uh well it's her first time but i'm we are re-watching the american office right now wow I like that show a lot that's so nice. uh we are kind of we go into this lab. Where, you know, it looks like it's a house initially, right, that these two guys go into with these big briefcases. turns yeah, out to be this Yeah, and it's snowing and, yeah. And they pick up revolvers. They put bullets in the revolvers. I didn't know why they were doing this. This didn't make sense <laughs> to me, but it, like, makes sense in a bit. Um, and they you know, go into this, like, control room, and at the, my first thing that I noticed, noticed, which was really weird to me, so you go into this control room. So it's big, like vault doors. There's lots of vault doors in this movie. They must have got some sort of discount somewhere. There's vault doors everywhere. <laughs> These huge, thick doors. Yep. There's a sign on the wall uh, of of the outside the vault room, which it lingers on for just a second, which says, "Anyone urinating in this area will be discharged." <laughs> like I wonder, like in the set designer, like in their mind, why they decided
1: to include that. Like why include that? That may have thought it was a joke and then they uh and then it turns out it ended up in the movie. Just very just a very
0: peculiar inclusion, you know? Yeah. But it was there. We we had it. <laughs> okay. Um and then effectively what I find out and what you find out is that there these guys there's two guys in this room and they're sitting in front of these big control panels and they're doing a bunch of tests and things like that. They are in command of nuclear warheads mm. and there is a siren and there's this whole scene, which I love this scene, right? Mm. So there's this siren that goes off and this siren gives out some message and then some codes. And there is then this whole big scene of the two of them working in tandem they must have gotten this from the from the actual procedures. This must be a similar to all the kind of thing that happens because it's so interesting and feels so right. Um, there's two guys. They each write down uh, half of the code each that's given out. Right? It's like they write down, or they write down the whole ten-digit code or whatever it is. Uh, they write it down on these like acetate, like the, or these laminated uh, pieces of paper with these pencils that can be wiped off. Then they each go over to this um, cabinet and they have a combination each to unlock this this little cabinet. They open these cabinets and they bring out these plastic things which they break open. Mm -hmm. And when they break them open, they each take out this piece of paper that's inside and they unfold the piece of paper and each of them has half of the code which they have to independently verify to each other that is correct. They then uh, like flick a bunch of switches... Uh, And that kind of thing, because they're verifying at that point that they have received an actual real code, that it's not a test, that they are to launch the nuclear weapons. Uh, They each get their keys, they put their keys in, they flicked a bunch of stuff, and then it all kind of... One of the guys starts to crack, and he wants to get somebody on the phone, right? And you can see the doubt in his eyes, because he's uncomfortable with the idea of having to kill all these people, right? And he's like, Oh, can you just get somebody on the phone for me? I need to speak to someone. And this other guy's like, This isn't protocol. This isn't protocol. And he's like, I want somebody on the phone before I kill 20 million people. And the countdown's going off in the background. And then he can't get anybody on the phone. No one will speak to this guy, and the countdown's going down and going down. And then the other guy draws a revolver upon him and is Uh like, You have to do this.
1: Turn your key,
0: sir. There you go. Um, Uh And then. Well, how does it end this got of my head now how does the scene end just it cuts away right I like think there that's isn't it. a resolution yeah. it it just yeah. cuts away and then the movie begins yeah um and it seemed really strange so you begin like the movie
1: begins and we're now at norad and that's like
0: what is norad it's like some missile defense
1: this location this is the north american uh, uh, yeah th- this is the this is the central command for the american nuclear missile arsenal basically Okay. So in the middle of a, a like a mountain somewhere to be protected from nuclear war basically. Right. Um and I thought that we were going back in the past.
0: Ah Right? That we'll get back to this later, which is what I thought. And then it starts, and two guys arrive. Uh, they arrive in a Jeep to meet a lady who's waiting for them uh, to take them to a meeting. And there's this thing, so another massive vault door is starting to yes. close. Uh-huh. And there are people like jumping through it. And it's like, Yeah, they're going to get crushed. It's like, why would you do that? That seems yeah. so dangerous. <laughs> like, it's a massive door. Like, you are going to be flattened. Uh-huh. But in they go, and. We are kind of they're taken to this this group of people, uh, and there are a bunch of people in a room, and they are basically talking about things. And they you realise that what that what happened that whole opening scene was a test of those men, Uh and apparently like they say I can't remember the percentage but like a high percentage of the the test subjects fail to launch
1: the missiles right so the whole idea is we've got we've got men in these silos we give them the the legitimate order to launch the nuclear missiles to 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 fire on the soviet union and a a large percentage of them don't do it which is a problem if you're planning war uh, in the u.s military in the cold war Um, and i think it's dabney coleman who says um, we've got a project to automate this so that humans don't have to be involved because they have consciences and are worried about not killing people. And that's pr- problematic. <laughs> we should be, we need to be a little more ruthless as killing machines, apparently. That's, that's the message here.
0: Yep. And then basically, we have uh, the idea of them saying, take the man out of the loop. Exactly. Right. So what you need to do is get rid of the men and basically let's hand it over to computers. Mm-hmm. And this is being said by. I'm bringing up the character's name now. I didn't have it that's M- down. that's McKittrick, isn't it? Dan Coleman. Mc- yeah, McKittrick. Yeah, that's it. I didn't know his name, uh, but I know his character name. So McKittrick says this, and he as b you know he has a system that he wanted to to tell them would work, and it would be an automated system, and and then the idea would be, you know, says so we all still sit at the top and we give the order. But then, once we've given the order, the order is executed. It doesn't go to anybody else for there to be any doubt, right? We give okay. the order, the order is carried out, and it's apparently the answer to all of their problems. And and McKittrick is explaining this to, I guess, people in in the military, but seem to be more in the president's camp. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure what these people do. They seem to be agents of some kind, right? And they they work in between the military and the and the president. Uh, and they go and show it around, and you know, the computer is the answer to all of their problems, and it's called Whopper, uh-huh. W O P R. It's an acronym of some description, and it plays war games. That's something that it has done for many years. It has tested itself by the fact that it understands war and it can judge everything it can judge who should fire first when they should fire it can calculate casualties all that kind of stuff it has been crunching all of this data on learning itself to be able to play these games um and then they have the old general uh general beringer
1: i believe yep played by Barry Corbin. Right. Yep, uh, who from says, Northern Expo- Northern Exposure, another show you haven't seen. Yep. Who says I wouldn't trust <laughs> this overgrown pile of microchips any further than I could throw it. It's like it's a war of ideologies. Yeah, he's like a Texan. He he's got his chewing tobacco in all the time and he doesn't believe all this computer crap and thinks then they need to be there need to be military men in the in the uh, in the loop here.
0: It's like a man versus machine type thing.
1: Exactly. You know, and that's that's kind of how that works. Well, that's definitely an undercurrent of of society at this time too. Is what can we automate? What? What? How? How can computers replace people? And this is the computers can replace people at killing people. <laughs>
0: All right. So it's you know that this is kind of the way we leave this scenario, right? Yes. And and it seems like you know they're going to go with the computer and and they're going to give that a go. You know, the guy says, "I'll tell the president about it." Then we go to our hero, uh, David, who is played by Broderick. And he is first we well, the first time we see him, he is playing a video game, Gallagher, and I feel it's like a foreshadowing, right? You know, war games. You know, watch out, that kind of thing. I love Aww. that kind of stuff. Uh, and he is realizes he's late for class and he sneaks into he you know hightails it to class and is late to class uh, to a teacher who is a very peculiar character the teacher yeah, yeah. who seems to like sometimes make jokes with the kids but the rest of the time just loves giving F's like he just relishes in giving an
1: F yeah, makes them come a, to the front of the class it's very strange he's a jerk yeah that yeah. teacher's a jerk he is a jerk I, I, I didn't think that I mean, I'm sure I thought that at the time, but now as an adult, I look at that and think that guy, that's a terrible teacher, that he, he like waves people's Fs in front of the class as he hands them out and mocks, sort of mocks them for being terrible students. And, uh, you know, but then again, the kids make fun of him, too. So that works. The, uh, the line is, uh, who, who what, is it, what was it, who uh, first came up with the idea of asexual reproduction and Matthew Broderick, who's late to the class, says, your wife. Yep, great line. Uh, so he gets sent sing. to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. So I have a question
0: for you about principal's offices. Yes. I don't know if you ever visited one.
1: Uh, only Only visiting, not sent there. Look at you. Okay, so in American pop
0: culture, all principal's offices look the same. Yes. Th- there's a really big desk and there's a really
1: big bench. Mm-hmm. Is that how they look? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um I think yeah, I don't know. Maybe my I think our principal's office had their desk and like a couple of, a couple of chairs. Not a not a big not a big. Well, they you you wait at the bench by the receptionist and then are sent into the principal's office. Yes. I think that's how that works. Okay. Yeah, I think that's. I think that. mean, varies from school to school, but that that's not an entirely accurate depiction of some of the school offices that I, you know, that I saw as a kid. So David is taken in to the principal. We don't see what he's happens been, there. He, he's been here before. He has that yeah. moment with the receptionist where she's like, "I think we're all getting a little tired of this," and he says, "Yeah, I'm, I am too." <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: Uh, and then basically we go to him leaving school, and Jennifer has a motorcycle
1: for reasons. <laughs> well, a scooter. I think she's got a scooter, right? A moped okay. or something. But so, so Jennifer, uh, who he was kidding around in class, and this is Alicia, um, who who has been in many other other movies that you might have actually seen, like The Breakfast Club. Yep. Okay. Woo, got Phew. one. And short circuit. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So she, uh, she uh uh gives him a ride on her uh scooter back to his house.
0: Yep. Uh and basically the what they're going to do is he's saying, you know, uh David's saying that he can help her with the F and, and can can help her out, basically. And what it transpires is that he is going to change her grade like he changes his grades in the school computer, can hack into the school computer. Mm-hmm. Now, this is this is the moment that you probably have been waiting for. Uh, where I talk about the computer equipment. yes, I have zero idea about any of it. I don't know what any of it is. I have huge oh. floppy disks, which yep. I have a a I, I, I had a memory as a young boy uh, at my uncle's house he had these types of floppy disks, like the huge ones right that were actually floppy. yeah, the actual disk itself, like the the case that it was in was not rigid.
1: Right? Yeah, oh yeah. That that's that's uh, I had those on my first computer. Um the uh, there were really big ones and then there were a little bit small smaller ones that were the actual floppy disks. And his computer in this is some weird computer that according to Wikipedia is is a it's an 8080 microcomputer that's not a brand name, but given that this movie was in is in 1983, that is a probably inaccurate computer for the time. It would be better if it was an Apple II or a TRS-80 or something like that. But it's a, you know, a, a big keyboard and a screen with text on it. And he has an acoustic coupler modem, which were going out of style at that point to, the, to a modem that, you know, was actually... Um, you know, a box that you just plug your phone line into. This is the kind where you have your big handset of your telephone and then you would plug it in, which for stagecraft purposes, I think it makes a lot more sense to use that in this movie just because you get the exciting things where he's picking up the phone and hearing the sounds and all of that. Yeah um and and so it makes sense even though i think they were on their way out or were out by the time that that this uh that this movie was made so he yeah so he's got a computer with a with the the screen with text on it and he's got the modem and he's got the big telephone in his room he's got his own line uh you know so he can make calls and and uh and pirate software and do stuff like that
0: yeah uh, that was the other thing that i wasn't familiar with i knew what it did but it's like i've never seen that type of
1: modem before where you actually put a telephone handset on top of it yeah and then it's you know it's basically got a speaker and a microphone and it's it makes the computer sounds out of the one and and listens for the computer sounds from the other computer out of the other one and that's how it transfers data which you can't obviously that has to be really slow data transfer and that's why they they switched I never had a modem like that. That's why they switched. Even the first modem I had was a 300 baud modem. It was a direct connect kind of thing because that was just not, uh, you couldn't get very much speed on it because you were, again, dealing with a microphone and a speaker in order to make all the noises that to transmit data. So they got, they got past that really quickly. So uh, then we
0: kind of, Jennifer is really unimpressed by this. She is angry, if anything, about about the fact that he wants to change her grade, uh, and doesn't want a part of it at all. And she leaves, uh, but then David changes her grade from an F to an A anyway. Um, yep. So that you know that continues, uh, and then we end up the next the kind of the next scene. We start to see his parents, who are very peculiar people.
1: Um, which <laughs> is they are. Yep, they uh, are. They eat, they eat raw corn. Yeah, that I don't understand is, why that so, happened. So it's a bizarre part of the movie that I that we talked about on the incomparable. I don't really understand why it's there, other than to add some jokes. And I guess it's a commentary on like West Coast '80s culture that the mom thinks that you should just eat your corn raw because you can really taste the nutrients. To which the dad says, and I, I, I think they kept it in because I mean it's funny. The dad says, "Can we just take some pills and then cook the corn?" Yeah, I know. Uh, but but there's also the they butter the corn with a piece of bread which is crazy. And honestly, since I rewatched this movie for the incomparable, um, I I that's now how I butter my corn. <laughs> it's
0: genius because then you still get the bread
1: afterwards. Yeah, exactly, and it goes all over the 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 corn. cob. because it's impossible that. to butter corn. Yeah, I think no. that's,
0: that that somebody, made a director,
1: just that was the way he buttered corn, and just wanted to get more people just to know about it. In it. There. Well, the whole the whole dynamic in in the house is amusing because in a in a movie that really wants to streamline, you could take a lot of that stuff out. He says his parents aren't home; they're kind of absent. You could just ha- essentially have the parents not be. In the movie very much but instead they are they they have their their little quirks and they make him embarrassed later when they ask about his little friend <laughs> would you like your little friend to come to dinner at a key moment he has to take out the trash i mean which is i think directly referenced in galaxy quest have you seen that
0: no Oh,
1: mike anyway when justin long gets asked to take out the trash in galaxy quest i feel like that is just a direct quote of um of war games but uh so yeah his parents are quirky and but they they both work as as he explains to Ali Sheedy, so they're not home during the day when he can get up to his computer shenanigans and, you know, like bring a girl into his room without anybody seeing, which he does.
0: But later on in the movie, they have no problem with it.
1: Yeah. Anyway. They, I, yeah, they don't. Oh no, she walks in and he's in that later scene and he's got like no shirt on and there's a lot of there's a lot of hilarious embarrassment because you get the sense that that david um doesn't have a lot of experience with girls yeah. and uh ali sheedy is is obviously interested in, or intrigued by him um and so like the one time she comes into the room and he looks at his room and he's like ah and he's picking up dirty laundry yeah. and underpants <laughs> and things and putting them in a ball and throwing them in the corner and then you know he has no shirt on and he and he has to put his shirt on and all of that and it's just it's there's just some funny little bits where he's super awkward around her, um, which I, I, which I like I, I feel like that rings true too
0: so that part with the no shirt on is when she comes she comes back to the house like a day or two later because she wants her grade changed
1: um, yeah she's decided to change it and and she goes and sees him and and, and uh, he says come back to the house and we'll change the grade but they, but he can't change the grade because the computer is busy doing something.
0: Exactly. It is dialing phone numbers because he had seen, in the uh, call on the Cobb scenario, uh, he's seen a a very intriguing computer ad about the Proto Vision, uh, which is in a computer magazine and it was talking about video games like you've never seen before and Mm -hmm. he wanted to play those games now. He didn't want to have to wait for like later in the year or whatever it was. So I wanted to ask you because I've heard you mention on many shows about the ads in in, in computer magazines. This was a very intriguing ad. It was multiple page. You had to open up a
1: flap to see the inside to find out the reveal of the ad was this what they were like i assume so i have no i have no memory of this level of detail of an ad i think by the time i was paying more attention they were not doing this anymore um but uh it's not outside the realm of possibility that you would get this like you know some software company would spend a lot of money to do a crazy gatefold ad in a computer magazine to get people excited about it but as you said, uh David is not David immediately thinks, could I like steal that? <laughs> could I download that? And uh he proceeds to dial, as he explains to Ali Sheedy, every phone number in the exchange of Sunnyvale, which is where the I think it was Sunnyvale, where the where the Protovision is. So, you know, if it's you know four oh eight uh 0 and then zero 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 one all the way through all ten thousand numbers. Um, and hoping to find uh, one that answers with a computer. And so they have a nice scene where they, they show like they get a pizza place and a laundry and a couple of people and a couple of no answers. And, you know, it's explaining this concept, um, which is quaint because this became known as war dialing after the movie War Games, huh. as th- this method became known as that, named after this. And in fact, when Wi-Fi became a thing and people were driving around um, finding uh, open Wi-Fi networks to connect to, that was called war driving, which was based on war dialing, which is based on war games. So this, is, uh, he didn't, th- this movie didn't invent this technique, but it's the one that made uh, p- the world know about it. And certainly this is where I learned about it so uh
0: Jennifer has a very interesting relationship with the computer um yes. in the way that she reacts to many of the things that it does uh, and she is clearly playing the uninformed people in yeah the she's audience. the audience
1: proxy here yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: because for example when they're go- when he's going through the numbers and he finds some some ones that are worth trying you know he finds some, some place that are worth connecting to uh, and they eventually stumble upon which would later be found out to be the missile defense system basically uh, he uh, David tries to log in and it says connection terminated. And she goes, Connection terminated?
1: How rude! How rude. <laughs> like, the computer's not rude. <laughs> um, I up on, I, that's a funny scene, though, because he, well, he enters the password wrong and it just hangs up on him. Yep. She's like, oh, How rude! And then, you know, there's the whole thing. Uh,
0: I think it might be during this whole scene or, or maybe a little bit later where the, He's able to talk to the computer, and the computer can talk back to him. And via this, I think that this is over like overselling. I can't imagine this would have been possible. You can tell me if I'm wrong about the signals being able to be interpreted into human voice. That seems like well, it was maybe overstretching for the so time.
1: the way I always thought of it was that you know he's got a he's got a box that reads the serial port and does text to speech. Okay. Which is not implausible. There were, there were, there were bad, but you know. Text to speech, honestly, text to speech has not has not come as far as you would think. Okay, I mean, you can remember how the uh, the original Mac text to speech worked, and yeah, oh, the, yeah, cur- yeah, yeah. the current text to speech is is better than that, but it's not a lot better. And this is this is from this era, so it it's not implausible. And and I see why they did it from a filmmaking standpoint because that this way you're not just reading text on a screen, and he's when as he's typing, he's saying the words that he's typing, and it's like they're having a conversation. So it's a little, it's more cinematic. What's funny about this, and something that I never noticed until I watched it for the incomparable is that the voice that you're hearing is actually the actor who plays Professor Falcon. Oh. It's a it's a British accent. And then it's pro- it's hi- and it's him, and it's processed to sound like a computer generated voice. And they do a great job with the processing because it sounds like a computer generated voice. But when you um, but if you listen to it and then you listen to the actor later, you realize that uh, it's his voice. And the reason is because you know he created this computer, e- even though that technically makes no sense. The only way it makes sense is if this is a stock. You know, if he also invented a text-to-speech algorithm with his based on his own voice that went into every box that was, you know, made to do that, which seems seems like uh, that'll be in my head canon. That'll be in my little uh, fan fiction that I'll write about more games later. Um, but uh, it is it is a nice touch because it makes you feel that Joshua, uh, the computer, the Whopper, so named Joshua to refer to Professor Falcon's son, um, is. You know, is his product is his thing because it talks like him. I
0: feel like that's just an Easter egg—the
1: fact that it's him. Yeah, yeah, but it once—it's—it's it, it's not even something you're supposed to notice. But I feel like it is tying you. It is tying them together, like just subconsciously, but it's not meant to be noticed. I think, other than just subconsciously that that they're related. I don't know. So during
0: this whole scene so i love this whole scene with uh you have it's jennifer jennifer is here and she's just come for a run which is really weird i love her character by the way like, yeah. oh she's so great her character is so fantastic like she is fun she is very active um she seems yeah, she's like a scooter real... she she goes yeah. running she's she, like she got a a, a kind of tomboy like I don't even know if that's a politically correct phrase anymore. I have no idea. But she's quite sporty. And yeah. she feels like she can she can be a girl, but she can also hang with the guys. Like She feels like she is a real great role model figure. I don't know. Like There's just something about her whole character that I really warm to. She's very positive, very smart and funny, and she's a great foil for David. Mm-hmm. But this whole scene with the two of them in the bedroom, and she, like, traps him uh, in between her legs when he's trying to go past. And That's your little friend. Does your little friend want to come to dinner, too? Yeah. And, she's- yeah. and it, just this whole thing, this whole little scene, is one of the things that I just really love about 80s movies. I love the music. Like, I love the music, like the soundtrack-type music. And I love the kind of music where it's, you know... The music that runs through, like the the score, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I love the dialogue between everybody. Um, I everything everything in general in eighties movies is more innocent and wholesome, which I like. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're just fun movies. Like they're not dark.
1: Yeah. No. I mean. Well. Okay. This movie gets dark, but it gets dark in different ways. Later. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I'm these thinking kids, of like Batman, right? Yeah, well, and, and these kids that we, we we meet here, right? I mean, they they they're not perfect. They don't get good grades, you know. They they they're skipping school and and, uh, but at the same time, they're still you know, and they're they're kind of innocent too. And don't yeah. and they step in they step in something, and they have to learn about this thing that they that they that they screwed up on. I mean, he is logging into people's computers and changing grades and stuff he's committing crimes and yet on in so many other ways he's completely innocent about the world and there's a, a when they when they play the game and then and then uh it's on the news in in the, in the sort of the next scene they have that freak out moment of like oh my god did we do this what do we do what do we do and they realize how in over their heads they are and it's all kind of adorable also it's funny the dynamic between them because you know you know she is she's flirting with him um and it's like you're you're starting you get the sense that you're starting from almost zero like they know each other but that they don't have any history to speak of and that this is the this is the thing that causes them to get to know each other and that's kind of adorable too to watch their their relationship kind of mm-hmm. kind of grow and as she learns about the the quirks and then they get put in this you know in this shocking thing that happens to them
0: and it may just be selection bias because of the movies that you're showing me, but I'm very much enjoying all of them for this reason. You know, like I think could say anything. Yeah. I love that movie so much. I'd see that again. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so basically, there are these nerds at a lab that they go to see. <laughs> Jim and Malvin, who um, are great comedy characters. Jim yep. is very quiet and angry, They're... and Malvin
1: is socially awkward and annoying. Yeah, a little broad, little broad. These characters, but yes, this is where you, this is where you get the. Uh, the back doors back doors that whole thing where they explain what back doors are which is again where most people heard for the first time about the concept of putting a back door in a computer system it came from this from this scene in this movie
0: so then uh then it unfolds a montage where, effectively, where <laughs> David is trying many different things and he's looking at different resources and trying to come up with the password, uh, which culminates in another scene back in his bedroom. Uh, this is where... Uh, like, yeah, this is another scene back in his bedroom. You know, Basically, Jennifer goes to see him. He hasn't been in school for a while. Like, you know, like, where has he been? Uh, he has been... I actually think this is the scene where he has his shirt off, right? It's it's this one, or is it all the same scene? Anyway, um, and then he kind of going through things. He's got paper all over everything. It kind of looks like a man possessed. You know, there mm-hmm. are things hanging up everywhere. That kind of stuff. He's
1: been doing research. We discover he's done. He's gone to the library. He's got like newspaper research, mm-hmm. and he's got like video clips, and which they was. Watch- is- they watch a video Unlikely.
0: of him, of the guy, and uh, Jennifer's like, he looks really nice. You know, looks like a nice guy. And then they read the obituary and find out he was 41 when he died. And she looks at him in the video and says, he wasn't that old. And he was like, he was 41. Uh, David says it in Jennifer goes, oh, yeah, that's old. That's old.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Makes me laugh every time.
0: And then they end up working out that Joshua, the name of his son that died in a car crash is the password and they log into mm-hmm. the system. And then we have, would you like to play a game? And then he has a list of all of the games. Um, you know, there's some there's games like blackjack and tic tac toe and poker.
1: Uh, it suggests chess, a nice game of chess would a nice be nice game of
0: chess. But then uh, David is drawn to a very exciting game called global thermonuclear war. Mm. Uh, and. Basically, they start this game of global thermonuclear war, and it sets off alarms at NORAD because it has woken up the Whopper system, uh, which is now simulating
1: that there have been missiles launched from right. Russia. Right, and, they, and it's a fun scene where, so he after he changes the. Right. He changes the grade. He does a reservation on a on an airplane, going yeah. to Paris. Yeah. All these things like all these things we can do that are pranks, basically. So here they kind of giggle and, and say who do we want to nuke first? And they choose Las Vegas and then they say and also Seattle, because this is they're in they're in the Seattle area where, where that's where they live. So they think this is gonna be really funny. Uh cut to NORAD headquarters, the center of the United States nuclear missile arsenal, and the red alert goes off that there are Soviet missile launches and, and they're incoming to uh, Las Vegas and Seattle.
0: Because they are now using this machine for yeah. the actual processing. But now this machine is playing a game. But exactly. But it looks to everybody else like it's real. Right. um And then the next day, David sees a news report um that basically there was yeah they reported
1: oh didn't they realize initially there was a it was a false alarm so so this is what happens and it's very funny this is where um david's mom says you need to take out the trash and he flips off the computer at which point the screens in norad go blank (laughs) and they're like huh and then the guy runs in saying it's a simulation it's stopping it's a simulation um but they've already you know they've already shut it down but the computer guy tells them that it wasn't real mm-hmm. it was the computer and they and they discover that um you know somebody was dialing in from somewhere but they they terminated the call but it was from from the Seattle Washington area that that much they know for certain but they don't know any more of that and uh this is also at the point where um where the general uh, reduces the, uh, goes to DEFCON 4, I think, or to DEFCON 3 and then back to DEFCON 4, which is where that, in a million other movies since then, I think largely was popularized. It was a real thing, but it was largely popularized the first time people heard about, like, military DEFCON, uh, which goes all the way up to one, which is World War III. Um, It's in this movie. They've got a big, they've got a nice little, uh, like, uh, sign with all the numbers on it that they can... They can show you what where the DEFCON is at the moment, defense condition. Yeah, but, but the uh, computer but it, is it,
0: alive at this point and wants yep. to continue going down this route. Um, right. So, the, and, so
1: the next day, there's all the news stories about about how there was a false alarm and there was almost mm-hmm. a nuclear accident, and that freaks David and Jennifer out because they know that it must have been them who did that, and yep. what have they gotten themselves into?
0: And then. Uh, so
1: yeah, the computer calls him, and <laughs> isn't that a great moment where yeah. he's like, "No, go!" It's like, "I, I, I told you never to call me here." He's like, "No," <laughs> hey, and it just keeps calling him back. And and plugs he plugs it the phone. in. We're still playing the game. It says, and he's like, "No, no, no, no! It's not me. Professor Falcon is dead." To which it responds something like, "Well, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Professor Falcon." And it just keeps going because it's a computer and it doesn't understand and he pulls the plug on his on his phone so it doesn't ring um and he and Jennifer agree to uh just not say anything and play it cool and nobody'll know and we just won't tell anybody about it
0: so now the thing is the government and the military think that because it can t- the, the the basically the simulation continues they think that David is a spy, and that this is actually a real thing that is happening.
1: And right. they then, pick him up at a Seven yeah. Eleven with the the guys with the. I love that scene. There's the guys with the earpieces in them in the parking lot, and he's just got his big gulp or his yeah his big gulp, and he's walking through the parking lot of the Seven Eleven, and like there's a, a mysterious guy behind him with an earpiece, and then a big black car drives up, and he guy gets out and he turns the other way, and another thing drives up, and he's and he's nabbed, and they think that he's a you know, a terrorist or a spy or something.
0: So uh, he gets taken to Norad and McKittrick wants to talk to him. So he takes him on this little walk and he starts talking to him about computers and stuff like that. And then takes him into his office because, you know, he's trying to be all nice. And then he takes him into his office and like starts interrogating him and like grilling him, that kind of thing about what's going on. Uh, And then there's some kind of emergency. So McKittrick leaves. And then I don't know why David does this. Starts playing around with the computer in McKittrick's office to talk to Joshua, as he calls it, the the war mm-hmm. machine, uh, and the, obviously the receptionist looking through the glass wall uh, sees him typing on the computer, uh, and you know all hell breaks loose. They the the computer's got, kind of going into like it's really going down this route now, and it's saying that when it gets to Defcon one, it's going to set off the nuclear warheads. Uh, so they all come and grab David because they think that he's up to no good and they throw him away into this like infirmary area um, in which David MacGyver's an escape. You know, he yes. kind of grabs this. Uh, a, a he dictaphone. rips the
1: panel off the wall and figures out a, a way to unlock his because uh, he's a good hacker. He yep. figures out a way to unlock the uh, the door electronically. And he sets off through the
0: uh, utility shafts and then ends up sneaking away with a tour group. Gets on a bus and escapes out of NORAD on a tour bus. Uh, He hitchhikes his way. Because also, oh, he has found an address, right? A a classified address for another guy, a a doctor. But he works out that this is probably uh, going to be Dr. Falcon. Or Falcon, Professor Mm -hmm. Falcon. (laughs) Professor Falcon. Whatever you call him, him,
1: so this this um, the the NORAD section for me is the weakest part of the movie. Right? Um, I think I like Dabney Coleman in this. Um, I think he's trying to make it like uh, David. He and David are kindred kindred spirits in a way because they're the computer guys. They're surrounded by all these military guys. There's this really gross thing where the 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 one guy is trying to pick up on the secretary that it's like, what is happening? <laughs> that it's like, why? I don't even know why that's in this movie other than that it's a distraction. Yeah, he needs um, to be distracted by something. So he chose I, that. The, the, escape, the escape is fine. I mean, I think a reason he types on McKittrick's keyboard is that he's desperately trying to stop Joshua from continuing the game, and he figures this is his opportunity to do it. Um, and he's just trying, like, it's like a last-ditch attempt, and it totally fails. the The part that really kills me is, this is the center of U.S. defense... And, and it's the missile launch, and there's a school tour where a bunch of kids from school have been brought in their school buses to take a tour of NORAD. I don't know if that's accurate or not. It seems completely ridiculous to me that there is a school tour, but it allows David to slip out with the school, which is, what I think, why it's there. And so he escapes from NORAD. But I don't know why there's a, a school tour there. Um, so...
0: Yeah, that, I I don't know what it was. I feel like they were like trying to do some sort of PR balancing because of the I don't know, it's just stupid. Uh but yeah. it was a good plot device to to get out. Sure,
1: I mean this this kicks the plot into gear. It it, it puts David and David learns the scope of what's going on, realizes he can't stop it, um that the people there won't really listen to him or believe him, um and he just figures that he has to get out and find professor falcon basically that he's gotten information now about professor falcon he used to work there now mckittrick's got that job you know and this sets david on the it's a tough part of the movie because this is this is all just to kick the plot into gear for the 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 second half of the movie where where they're going to go seek falcon out and the the um whopper is going to continue the countdown um and then basically he's we, you know david
0: has left he's hitch hiked his way out and he gets jennifer to book him a plane ticket i love
1: that he is a massively wanted man but can get on a plane right different different times this is that that is one of my favorite things about that that uh that section of the movie is um he can show up somewhere uh, uh, yeah they don't know it's they he's wanted but they can book a, a ticket in his name and nobody knows it and he can just walk in, and there's no security, and it's just yeah, very different time. Um, so we basically are at a situation where,
0: uh, oh yes, okay. So this is something that I just realized while looking at my notes. Jennifer arrives; she's there. Yeah, when he so gets she, off she, the plane.
1: Yeah, she picks him up at the airport. She's come down to wherever they are, and they're gonna go. They're gonna go uh, find uh, Professor Falcon. And then. Oh they they find Falcon yeah they go to they go to his, his island, island. And, and one of my favorite scenes is they get to this <laughs> island and they're like what the where the hell are we in this island and what's that and there's a dinosaur it's that a is flying It's a pterodactyl flying around. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a just, great non-sequitur, right? That is one of my favorite non-sequiturs in any movie ever. It's like what am I seeing? Why is it? But it turns out it's a radio-controlled pterodactyl being piloted by the the guy who's under an alias but that we realize is is the actual mysterious Professor Falcon. Um, and Dr. Falcon's crazy. I love I love this whole section. so he he has been driven, if not mad, he has he is such in such despair over the death of his wife and son that he's gone into hiding, he plays with his dinosaurs, and he has you're right, he he's kind of crazy. He, he has become obsessed with the dinosaurs. And that they went extinct, and that his thoughts about his contribution to the military and indu- industrial complex and the nuclear arms race and all of that is inevitably going to lead to the um, to the the destruction of humanity, just as the dinosaurs were destroyed, and that the, we will become extinct. And and the this is the dark part of the movie where he basically makes the argument that um, you know you guys you know are are. Young, and it's a shame that you'll die, but you know, even if we extended this a little while, your kids would die, because we're all going to die. Uh, we're all going to kill ourselves. Humanity doesn't deserve to live. I'm just going to let... Sure, I could probably stop the countdown, but I'm not going to, because we don't deserve to live, which is... He is in a very dark place and 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 this is the low point in the movie it's not a bad point but it's the like emotional low point is they leave his he's like you can stay here because the the last ferry has left the island that he's on and he's like you can stay here overnight and sleep on the floor if you want they're like we're out of here and they go for a walk and they and they um And this is like, well, it's a very sweet scene where they're talking about, they they feel like resigned to the fact that they're going to die now, that the nuclear war is going to happen. Falcon won't stop it. They're stuck on this island. And so they had this sort of like, what would they do if they, you know, what were they going to do if they lived? She says she was going to be on a TV show with the people from her aerobics class, which is weird. It's a, And it's a sweet scene because they, they are opening up to each other yep. and feel like they're going to die. And then they start kissing, which, you know, you feel like, hey, the world's going to end tomorrow. We've got to live for tonight. Right. So that that's yep. all. I like this whole little block of the movie that Falcon is so dark and so weird. And the kids are the voice of reason. They're like, no, we want to live. And he's like, no, we're all going to die. it's it's a It's a real thematic shift. Um, but I really love it, I, and I love how, how dark and, and twisted Falcon is at this point. He's not menacing, except through inaction. Like, he's just, like, I, he's written humanity off, and they're trying to make him believe it, and he won't believe it. However,
0: when uh, they kiss, something happens. <laughs> and when when they kiss, uh, something seems to happen to the plot of the movie <laughs> in that it just starts to tear into pieces. So... A helicopter arrives and chases oh, yes. them for way too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So this
1: is, that, this is the flip side of the pterodactyl, which is they, they start to kiss and they're, it's like the last night on Earth. And, uh, and then black helicopters come to take them away back to NORAD because they've, I, they've realized, I guess, that they are finding their way to Falcon and they, the government knows where Falcon is and so they take them all back to NORAD. And it's essentially... Oh, okay. Is that what you expect? Because I couldn't work out
0: where the helicopter came from.
1: Oh, I assume I assume that they finally figured out that they were traveling, or they just realized McKittrick he, had been talking about Falcon, and that and that David had been obsessed with Falcon, and that they know where Falcon is, and some combination of those things. Um, they went to Falcon. Falcon said, "Oh, they just left here," because they say like, "Oh, Falcon sold us out," which is probably not quite it. Um, uh, you know, but and we don't know how long it's been. Did they walk just walk out the door, or had they been walking for an hour or something did, and talking? The thing that,
0: that I don't get though is that the army guy, the military guy, seemed to be working with them rather than trying to take them.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird. I'm unclear because <laughs> I was I'm like, not... where did he get this so, helicopter? <laughs> so this is the, this is the strange connective tissue here, where I think basically what they what what McKittrick has realized is that the computer is out of control. They, that um that they need falcon that falcon is in play that the kids knew it that the kids went and found him and and they're so desperate at this point they're like let's just bring them all back let's bring them all back and talk to them and and the, the, what this is what the movie is trying to do the movie wants to get all of its stars in one place on one set which is that enormous norad set so that they can have the end of the movie yep and it's a great end of the movie but this is the point where they're like in the screenplay they're like well you know, and emotionally i love i love the whole island stuff with them but there is that moment where they have to sweep everybody up and bring them to, to the next part of the movie and this is it it's with the helicopter
0: then falcon somehow well, they will arrive and he convinces the general
1: they're rushed in right and they get to go through those doors that are almost going to slam them yeah but they get in just as they're closing the doors. Oh, um, that
0: actually makes sense, what you said now about your theory for it, because the lady is waiting for them.
1: Yeah, they're trying to get them in as the door. Yeah. And she's like, you got to hurry. You got to you gotta get in here now. And they, they rush them in there because they realize they're going in nuclear war lockdown, um, which I always feel bad for the people who are wandering around outside the doors because it's like, see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, don't, <laughs> you don't get to come into the vault. Um, but to they rush them so in up. there and, and basically say, "God, what is happening? Fix it. You know, fix it. Um,
0: so at this moment they're like they're counting down like the minutes to impact and falcon somehow convinces the general to think and not follow the machine and like do you think this is really happening like an unprovoked attack that they would want to destroy it like he really asks him to take a gamble with himself right like yeah because the general believes this is happening like he genuinely believes
1: this is happening, as he should in this. Well, scenario. he's he's responsible for this, right? Yeah. Like the idea is, if I if I don't act here, then I will have allowed my country to be annihilated. Um, yep, and so that, it's that's a really mindset. strange
0: thing that Falcon is able to convince him so quickly. Um, but I don't I don't know. You know, like it, it's just a it's an odd point for me. So the general calls off the attack. Um, and they have this great scene with uh, he is on the line with a bunch of different uh, command bases that would be first to be hit. And they confirm to each other that everything's okay. And everybody starts to celebrate. And everyone's going crazy and everyone's happy. But uh, Dr. Falcon recognizes that Joshua is still running and it's yeah. trying to find the launch codes. So right. it has not stopped. Like because I assume that the way the computer has seen it is they have attacked us, so now we must attack them, right? Right. Because it's still playing the simulation. Uh, But in this simulation, America strikes afterwards. That's the simulation that they're playing. And nobody has made the simulation happen yet, so the computer's still running through its its sequence. Uh, And there's this whole scenario where it's trying to find the launch codes. um, And whilst it's trying to find the launch codes Uh, everybody then starts to freak out and there's like a countdown as it's getting them one by one. And then everybody huddles around the machine. And... I... (laughs) This is like that, that, you know, you've got to have the movie end this way, but it's weird. It's like everyone's huddling around the machine and Dr. Falcon, like, clearly knows the answer, but wants David to do it himself. Right? And he's like, no, you do it. And it's like, oh, and then he works out that tic-tac-toe makes the machine freak out. Right? So... He starts playing games with tic-tac-toe. It's taking too long, and they need to get the machine to like either learn or to overload itself. And then he says, "Oh, doctor, can it play simulations?" He's like, "Yes, just enter zero. Like, why don't you just give offer of that information <laughs> up?
1: Um, and then the he machine does have starts, a, a remarkable lack of uh, lack of uh, desire to move things along, lack of urgency. Yeah, there's no urgency, Professor at all. Falcon, especially it's when it up. comes to flying helicopters around. Maybe we'll do maybe, that for a long the, time. The chat room says that they think that Falcon gets second has second thoughts and goes and gets them in the helicopter and takes them away. Maybe I never really thought that, but yeah, but that, that's uh, it. See, that was what I expected. But where did the helicopter come from? Well, he had, Falcon has a helicopter in addition to a pterodactyl. <laughs> exactly. With a military personnel inside. That was my yeah. problem. I couldn't yeah, work out where it came from. Yeah, I assume that they sent somebody to talk to Falcon, and then maybe it's his helicopter, maybe it's not. But I assume that they were they were at play there. The, the tic-tac-toe is set up because it's one of the games that it wants to play. And we've learned that, that Whopper, that uh, Joshua, is a learning machine. And so there's this suggestion, and it's clear that's like let's have him war game tic-tac-toe let's have him simulate tic-tac-toe and what he'll realize is with two you know intelligent players you can't win it's always a draw it's always a cat's game Um, and that's the that's that's your message of the movie which is that in order to stop Joshua you can't just tell it to stop you have to teach it and so they have it war game all of the nuclear war scenarios and all of them uh, have no winner because everybody dies Mm mm-hmm and that, there's a great. It's it's not a montage because it's like this fast forward computer simulation thing, and it's running it's, through all of these scenarios. It's so great, and they all have these crazy names. They mm-hmm. all have these like n- scenario names of like the, the. It starts here, it starts here, and uh, they all end in winner none. Right, everybody dies. Yeah, there is no winner, and then
0: it's the own. So basically, it then cuts out. And the computer comes up and speaks, obviously, I have one of those talkie boxes there too, uh, yeah it's using the same voice too, yeah same Amazing. voice, and it says, you know basically the on- it is discovered that the uh, the only winning move is not to play,
1: yeah, strange game, the only winning move is not to play that's your message. The only way to win a nuclear war is to not have one. Everybody celebrates, and the movie ends now, what should come next
0: though? is David being arrested for causing this entire scenario? <laughs> that is the next yeah. part. And maybe being extradited to Russia like, because they're having to deal with all of this. But well, this is the other thing, all the ramifications. Because the Russians are getting like nervous because the Americans yeah. keep sending jets and stuff into the air. Uh, there is a whole other movie, which is not war games 2, uh, as I've been told on Twitter yes. that, you know, that should exist, which is what happens afterwards, which is David being arrested and being thrown into prison forever. Uh, but I, I did enjoy this movie again from that, that there are some parts at the end, which I think of plot problems, but overall, this is very enjoyable and you can give me uh, like, you know, Matthew Broderick in the 80s and 90s in any movie and I tend yeah, to love sure. it you know sure I love Ferris Bueller I wish I would never have seen Ferris Bueller so we could have done it for, mm. as part of the show like you know very quickly what I love about Ferris Bueller obviously not original this is nothing happens in Ferris Bueller that's what I love about it <laughs> right yep. that it is just a day accurate it's
1: just a day and that's what I love about that movie
0: um but anyway so, war games I've really enjoyed I feel war like- games.
1: I feel like McKittrick and Falcon would would go to bat for David and say, you know, he caused this to happen, but in reality, this was going to happen. The Whopper was a learning machine. This was going to happen. This was going to happen the moment that we made the decision to take the soldiers out of the silos. And, um, you know, cause that's part of the lesson here too, is the, the having, having humans do this thing and that replacing them with a machine is a mistake, but also it's because the humans have a moral sense of a sort. And, uh, that's why the people refused to turn the keys in the silos. So, so, you know, this is an anti-war movie. Um, it's also sort of an anti-technology movie, but sort of not, I think. Um, but anyway, I, I feel like David would, would probably, because he did, you know, help convince professor falcon and you know say and you know play played some tic-tac-toe and save the world that they'll probably let him off with we're gonna we're gonna watch you you know don't no, no more modems <laughs> and uh you know and just go to college and, and do something respectable or they you know or we'll hire you but you have to you know but no more no more modems in the meantime yeah if they let him off they definitely hired him I think so. I imagine. that's See, that's the sequel that they should have made is, you know, it's 20 years later and David is now working as an analyst and discovers something computery that is threatening the world. And that would have been an interesting way to do that, to do a sequel. Instead, they did a weird direct-to-video sequel like years later that it has no connection and don't watch it. It's not... I I was actually surprised when people say, "Oh, but don't watch the sequel." It's like I don't even consider that sequel a sequel. It's just a cash grab from from many many years later.
0: Yeah, it's a a, a movie with the name War Games. War 2. Games. Yeah, yeah. That's or, that's it, or whatever it's called. Whatever it's the called, Dead War Code.
1: <laughs> um.
0: So yeah, I enjoyed that one. It was another great suggestion. I think uh, I liked it very much. Good. Um. Because again, I think there is clearly a theme that. I am, I am clearly a sucker for 80s movies with young love stories in them. Mm. That is clearly a thing that I like. Uh, I like 80s romantic comedies. Even though this isn't a romantic comedy, but it has the romantic, like it has the, 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 no, It's, romance got, it's got
1: the, I, I love, it. it's got the young, young love um, at the time of the end of the world kind of thing. And they mm-hmm. bond by be doing this crazy thing with a computer and all of that. And it definitely inspired a whole generation of computer nerds with the whole talk of uh, war dialing and, and, uh, you know, protovision, I have you now and all of that uh, kind of, kind of stuff too um so yeah but but i I love that i love that relationship that they have and uh it's it's a fun um fun thing and i love that scene where they talk about what they're not going to do because they're all going to die tomorrow and as somebody who lived through that era uh, let me tell you you know it didn't happen every day but there were days where you would think are we all going to die tomorrow like literally the the possibility that the human race would extinguish itself anytime was floating around you know which is bizarre and we don't feel that now which is not that we aren't capable of doing it now but but it doesn't have that same feeling uh as it did in the in the early to mid 80s we are running
0: extremely long yes we are but i still want to talk about inside out is that okay yeah
1: yeah that's fine okay we should we, we should we should do that Before
0: we do that, though, I want to just thank our final sponsor for this week, and that is Squarespace. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com, and if you use the offer code UPGRADE, you will be able to get yourself 10% off at checkout. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. When it comes to finding a home for yourself online, in my opinion, there is nowhere better than Squarespace because they give you all of the power that you need. They put it right in the palm of your hands. They give you all the the template tools you're going to need, all the site-building tools you're going to need. They give you great hosting. They give you great scaling. They give you all of that stuff without you needing to have to worry about how to, to, like... Get down in the nuts and bolts and work it out yourself because Squarespace do all that heavy lifting for you so you don't have to. And if you do get stuck with anything, they have great support teams that are there to help you 24-7. They have live chat and email for their support and they're there. All the time. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are there with any questions, queries, or comments that you may have, if anything that you need help with. They have state of the art technology powering your Squarespace site. You get great tools to build your pages. You have fantastic templates to choose from for many different types of website, many different types of business, but they are all extremely customizable so you can make any of them fit your needs and you can enable all of the features that you want. Maybe you want to add a store and use their commerce platform. Maybe you want to add some galleries to show off your artwork. Squarespace have everything you're going to need. They have Markdown support for blogging if that's your bag. I know a bunch of people that use Squarespace for exactly that. Um, our blog at Relay FM, our store at Relay FM, is powered by Squarespace because We know they do it better than anybody else, so why would we build our own when we have those tools right there for us to use and if you do want to stretch Squarespace further then then it already is you can do they have a dev platform is out of beta now it's available to everyone you don't need to know any code to have a fantastic Squarespace website but if you do want to tinker with anything you can feel free to because they have the dev platform to enable you to do that Squarespace really is a fantastic set of tools It is a great It is a really really great system that if you want a website of any kind or you know anybody you have friends family local businesses that need a web. Squarespace is definitely the place for them as well you can sign up for annual plans that start at just eight dollars a month if you want they do monthly plans as well but with their annual plans you'll get a free domain name if you pay annually which is really awesome you can start a trial right now with no credit card required and start building your own website today by going to squarespace.com and if you use the offer code upgrade at checkout you will get 10 percent off your first purchase and show your support for this show thank you so much to squarespace for helping us out today squarespace build it beautiful so last night, I went to see uh, Disney Pixar, uh, their latest movie, Inside Out. And I am about halfway through episode 254 of The Incomparable called You've Ruined Pizza, um, which is great, yes. great when you've seen it. Uh, and I'm about halfway through that. But I really loved this movie and I wanted to just share some of my thoughts with you because I think they're very, I think they I come from a very different uh, background to basically everybody on the panel uh, in that I don't have kids and I know that Andy didn't but he seemed to also be coming at this from looking at it in that way as well like looking at it as a effect that parents can have on children as being mm-hmm. one of the key themes of the movie which it definitely is and I could see that but that was not the way this movie made me feel um, okay so, so I'm not a parent. Right. So all that stuff with, you know, and, and it really I can see it there. Right. Because I could feel the emotion in it, like the the parts where the like the mom and dad are saying to Riley about thank you for being so strong for us. Right. You know, you can you could see it at the time like, oh, oh that's a problem. Uh, by the way, massive spoilers for Inside Out and we're not really going to go through the plot. I just had some feelings that I wanted to get out. So I hope that you've seen it. Um but basically, it seemed that a lot of the discussion that I've heard on the on the great episode of The Incomparable so far is about this effect that parents have on kids and how it can be to watch children grow and for like the emotions to form. Uh, but for me, this felt like a very interesting um, take on mental health. That was kind sure. of the way that I saw this movie uh, and the way that I was watching it because it was kind of like explaining to me um, as well in the way that it made me feel was to kind of be like, to say you can balance things. Like, it's okay that all of these emotions exist and at certain times different emotions will drive you. Uh Um, But it's cool because that's just what's going to happen. And it was very interesting to me because it it was, I thought it was a really positive message for mental health to be like, these are the five elements that we have in our minds. And no one person is all of them, you know, except for the bus driver. Uh, but, yeah. you know, but we have all of these different elements that make up our personality. And it's totally okay that at certain points they're going to drive. And what it ended up showing was ones that you think are really bad, like sadness, actually can be incredibly important to your life, mm-hmm. right? and the way that that can can run and you know you see it and, and I noticed it at the time when they showed that the ma- the mum uh the mother was being controlled by sadness sadness was in the middle of her control desk right, right. showing for her and like the dad was anger right like they 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 have these guiding emotions in that riley had uh, the daughter had joy but they can change and they can grow and they adapt um and I also felt about like the the Journey, that like joy and sadness go on. So, like, they get ejected out of headquarters. Genius, right? Stuff like that. Headquarters. Mm. Very clever. Like, train of thought. Oh, yeah. The God, those, thought. those Pixar people are just geniuses. <laughs> they really are so smart, the way they think of those little things. Um, and... Uh, The journey that they go on together and watching how everything gets broken down and how they have to go through it together and to work out that actually they can coexist and why that's beneficial. I kind of saw that as like every kid has that happen in their brains, right? Like that joy and sadness always get lost together for every child like it wasn't a this is what i took from anyway it wasn't a thing that just happened to riley like there is a a thing in which all kids go through right they go through that period or that time where joy and you know sadness or whatever are not with them anymore and they're driven by anger for example because there are these other emotions these other like strong emotions that they have are off having that adventure where they can learn to get back together and rebuild their personality. And the whole idea of the personality is getting broken down and new ones being grown. I I imagine like the way that I look at that is that happens to all of us multiple times in our lives and different traumas break down our personalities and allow them to grow again. Like I think of Mm -hmm. like breakups in relationships, they break it down again. You have that relationship island smashed to pieces And then when you meet somebody new, it grows and it grows differently because this person's different and you grow into a relationship yourself and it enables you as a whole to change. And and those kind of big moments in our lives smash those islands down and enable us to to rebuild them a bit. So that's my overall feeling about, about Inside Out.
1: I, yeah, I, I think it's funny about the parents. I, I think some of that is about uh, as a parent, you're thinking this is a movie about the emotional development of a child. And so when if you've got children, you start to think about their emotional development as a child more than about your own emotional development, especially as a child and becoming an adult. And, and I, so I think that's one of the reasons that... Uh, you know the, as parents we kind of took that point of view i think you're right i, I think one of the, the messages of the film is definitely the idea that um the idea that if you're thinking that the only way for you to be a normal person or a healthy person is that you are happy all the time that you are setting unrealistic um expectations for yourself and that Life is more complicated, and people are more complicated than that. And that, um, you know, some of the richness in life is things that we think of as negative, and that that's all a part of us too. And I think, you know, I, I think you're right. It's a it's a message of this about sort of mental health and a, and a healthy attitude toward life that um, that it's all part of it's all part of the whole, and that if you if you decide to categorize it as like this is the good part and this is the bad part, then you're going to be unhappy or unhealthy because you are you have an unrealistic expectation for for life uh it can never be fulfilled and that in fact you wouldn't want a life that was nothing but this because you know if there are no highs and lows then everything is just flat um and i i that i mean that and ultimately that's the message of the movie right is that joy and sadness together create uh you know to use nerdy terms, create this kind of dynamic range. Like it's, it's better that the the, the memories are bittersweet and not just all joyful or all sad that it's this combination, um, which again, I think that's why it's about a young girl is that she's going through. Um, she's going through this transformation that leads to adults that hopefully, you know, in the adult mind, you have a more nuanced, uh, set of of feelings that are all working together and integrated more. But as a child, you know it, it, you don't start out that way. And so we're seeing her um, understand about mixed emotions and about you know feeling bittersweet feelings about things. And um, it's really interesting. Also, Bing Bong is uh, in it, and any parent will tell you that when the moment that the imaginary friend comes on screen, you think, oh no, something bad is going to happen to Bing Bong because imaginary friends don't last it's a beautiful thing but then they fade away and they're gone and and again as a parent you look at this and you think these are this is also a story about all of these things that you saw in your children when they were little that then eventually they all went away because they grew up so that's that's another reason that you know you view that that way as a parent
0: i think yeah i didn't i didn't have that crushing sense
1: of dread when bing bong came on the screen (laughs) oh yeah Oh yeah, I I just I, I was a moment. I was like, oh no, <laughs> Big Mong. 'Cause because yeah, because imagine how many how many grownups do you know who have imaginary friends, right? It's like he's doomed, he's doomed, and he's already been filed away. He's lurking in the background, right? Sure. So yeah, it's a good movie. It's a really good movie, and it has a lot. There's a lot of depth to it. There will be great, you know, there will be books written about the, uh, the 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 meaning and metaphor in in uh, in Inside Out. I think. So-
0: I cried a lot, Jason.
1: Wow. It's a yeah. great it's a great work of art and uh, wow. Pixar is good at making making uh, people cry too. But it, it's a yeah, it's a really it's a really uh, fascinating piece of piece of art. I have to say that the the
0: correlation between time of Pixar movies, you know, like over time as more and more movies have come out and crying has there
1: has been a, an increase, yeah, in the amount that they make you cry. Yeah, they, the, they've 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 on. really. I mean, they've been making people cry since Toy Story two. I would say, but lately there there are they definitely are very good at it and they know it.
0: There's like the whole there's like a whole half hour towards the end of the movie where I'm crying every three minutes. Mm. Like I'm not like um, when when I say crying as well because I say this like a bunch. I don't mean like tears running down my face, but like I'm choked up and there are tears in my eyes. I kind of consider that as crying because it's like you may as well have done that to me now because I'm i'm on the edge you know you've you've effectively got me to the edge so i, I will call that crying um i saw a link today that they're going to be making a little uh like an inside out kind of direct to dvd type thing as an extra on the on the movie and the, uh, on uh-huh. the blu-ray which is cool and it's called uh riley's first date so i'm happy about that that there'll be more kind of Mm -hmm. stuff, which is great. Um, I'm happy to see that. But I wanted to end this show today by asking you, uh, what emotions do you think drive you? Because, you know, we have the mom is driven by sadness uh, and the dad is driven by anger and Riley tends to be driven by joy. Um, What what emotions
1: drive Jason Snell? I can't answer this question. I, I love that you want to end on this and I have no answer for you because I feel like I'm a pretty integrated person. And I, I have all I, of those well, emotions. Well, I can answer
0: for myself then, I think. All right. I think that I tend to be driven with a mix of fear and joy. I think that all they right. are like my overriding emotions. I'm either happy or I am scared of something. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can be a person, I suffer from anxiety, not in a bad way, but like I get really anxious about things. Uh, anybody that listens to Analog will know that about me by now. Um, I'm a warrior, and I think that I have that combination of being driven by by happiness, but also
1: by fear. Like they are in the in the driving seat for me. I think if I if I had to answer, I would probably give the same answer as that, which is a lot of what I do is pursuing things that I I want to do them because I feel joy in doing them, and you know that that's definitely a part of it. And then, sure, you know, fear is a motivator at times, and uh, you need to realize when it's unhealthy and when it's healthy because again with something we associate as a negative emotion some fear is good fears can spring from you know a, an alert system that this is something you need to you need to worry about and other times it's bad because it's motivating you to make bad decisions or not make decisions when you need to so i th- I, I think that's true but like i said i feel like ultimately every time i think about this i think i i've I've got all of them at the... They're all poking at the control panel. (laughs) They've all got very nice seats around the control panel.
0: If you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 50. If you'd like to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Um, You can find Jason Ears at JSnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. Um, He hosts Clockwise and Liftoff on Relay FM. You should check them both out, um, as well as a whole other host of shows on The Incomparable uh, at TheIncomparable.com and also Jason Rice over at SixColors.com. And uh, I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter, and you can find me and uh, many other shows that we do here over at Relay.FM. You're uh, gunning for me now, Snell. Three shows on Relay now. Yeah,
1: well, you know, fortnightly. It's like half a show every 14 nights
0: and uh, if you would like to uh, support our sponsors that would mean a lot to us You can, uh, I'd like to thank them again Squarespace, Smile, Igloo and Linda they've been here to support this bumper episode of Upgrade but most of all, if you're at this point now, thank you so much for sticking with us and we'll be back next week for another episode of Upgrade until then, say goodbye Jason Snow goodbye Mike Hurley